Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Mason Wynn hits one a mile high down the left field line. Did he get enough? He got enough! His first home run! A towering drive into the bullpen in Atlanta. It's 7-2 Cardinals. Swing, fly ball center. Harris retreats back toward the infield. That ball carrying! That ball is gone! Three-run homer for Gorman. And he got it. Strike three called, and the Cardinals have beaten the Braves again. 11-6. That's an impressive arm, and he's put together a really nice year. Um, our guys had a really good approach from the very beginning against him and uh, took some good swings. Um, but, uh, yeah, credit to our offense because uh, they produced against a really, really top-end arm. The nerds are back alongside Tanner and Grant on BK. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN after an hour of people telling you how things really are here in St. Louis. We're going to tell you how we think things should be here in St. Louis. Josh Innes, of course, had the last hour. Good to hear him on the station today. All right, T-Bone, that audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Listen, I'm not here sucking up to the Cardinals. However, what I will say is that when they deserve credit, I'm going to give it to them. And I thought last night they played really well. And I think this season, the offense has been better than what I think some will give it credit for. It has been incredibly inconsistent. Alex has been telling you that all year. (laughs) But when they are good, they look like that. And they did it last night against Spencer Strider, who's one of the best pitchers in baseball, despite Dan Plesak's ranking of him. He may have been right, actually. He is a legit top 10 pitcher in the sport. And T-Bone, when this offense is clicking, it looks pretty darn good. If you're looking at some of the advanced numbers that some of the nerds like, like myself, I I think you can make a case that this is pretty similar to what they had offensively back in 2013. Now they need the pitching. They need to get the defense back up to snuff, and I think that it is getting closer to what they had previously. But when I watch this offense right now, especially what we saw last night, my immediate takeaway is, man, I don't want to get rid of some of those guys. I don't want to pull from that offense, which looks like it could be championship caliber next year, in order to improve the pitching staff. Instead... This is where the ownership has to be willing to spend because the only reason why they're pulling from that offense is because they're unwilling or unable in their minds to spend on the pitching that they need. That's what they got to go out there and do this offseason. Instead of pulling from their strength to help their weakness and then you end up kind of it's a zero sum game somewhere in the middle. Hey, let's keep this great offense intact and let's go make our pitching somewhere around good or at least good enough. And that's what you can do by just going out and spending money instead of making a big trade. Yeah, I'm with you 100% because the offense has shown this year that it can hit some quality pitching and it is a top offense. Though they do go through some spurts and it does feel sometimes long like it was early on or in August where they go through some struggles. Overall, the offense has been really good for the St. Louis Cardinals and we talk about it all the time. If you just had a average pitching staff, you're talking about a playoff team this year with, with this kind of offense that the St. Louis Cardinals have. Now, I would say 
maybe you can still pluck one piece from it and it doesn't completely tumble over if you have to go get a starting pitcher because you weren't able to sign one of the top-end market guys and maybe a top-end arm like a Dylan Cease becomes available like that this offseason. But yeah, to your point, that should be the goal is to avoid touching the offense this offseason because it is good enough to shellac Spencer Strider, who is arguably one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. We'll see what they look like against uh, Max Freed today of the Atlanta Braves. This is a good enough offense that should be able to win in October. You just have to build a pitching staff around it and not just a starting pitching staff, a starting pitching staff and a bullpen around it that can make you a complete team like the Atlanta Braves are. Yeah, that's the thing is like, I think when people hear me talk about the offense and how it has lived up mostly to expectations, they hear that and they're like, BK, but the team stinks. They've won 61 games so far in the season. They're on pace to lose 90 plus, And it's one of the worst seasons that the Cardinals have had in franchise history. Absolutely. That's the backdrop to every Cardinals conversation that we have had all season long. This is a systemic failure on the highest possible levels for the Cardinals. But many of the reasons why that has taken place have nothing to do with the offense. Did they need to be better with runners in scoring position? Yes. Do I believe that that can get better? Also, yes. I think the reasons why they've struggled this season, for the most part, defense took a massive step back. Pitching staff, whether you want to talk about the rotation or the bullpen, complete failures from start to finish. And now as you go into the offseason, the question is, okay, how do you improve that rotation? And I think for a lot of people, the answer is, hey, you go get the number one starter, the front end starter by trading for it. You you trade a Nolan Gorman, you trade uh, some of this young cord, Brendan Donovan, and that's how you go get your Dylan Cease. You go get your Logan Gilbert, whoever the name is that you want to acquire. Instead of doing that, what I would like to see the Cardinals do, because I've considered that possibility, right? We've gone through all of the different manifestations of what the offseason can look like for them. Hey, what if you just built around all of these dudes? What if you just said, let's mash? Let's have an offense that might not be quite at the level of the Braves, but is probably the next closest thing right now in Major League Baseball in terms of a young core with established veterans to what the Braves have built. You look at some of the comparisons, the company that they're keeping in terms of the number of players that are above average offensive contributors. Man, you're talking about the Dodgers, the Astros, the Rays, the Braves, the Rangers. That is the company that the Cardinals are keeping right now. Now you got to add to it. And when you go into the offseason, that's why I would try to build around Gorman, Newt, Walker, Donovan, Wynn. These are the guys that I want to see around here for the long haul. And eliminating those guys, this Jenga board that can potentially topple over, I don't think you suddenly become a bad offense. But I don't know that you're going to be able to get the pitching to a high enough degree in order to make up for a lack of offense or a a slippage, if you will, with what the offense is going to be next year. Yeah, to that point, it's going to be a lot tougher to try and build a rotation like the Braves than it is to maintain the offensive pieces that you have that are right there with their offense right now. And that's why I, I think you're right on in terms of, okay, go out there and try and spend the money for the top two guys and then maybe trade a smaller piece to go get a number four. That's why we mentioned Carlson's name all the time at the trade deadline. Can you go get a Clark Schmidt type pitcher for Dylan Carlson? And this is why, and I said this last week uh, when you were, when you were out, I, I do think the Cardinals are close to the Braves. Now I don't think they can catch them by any means, even with a good off season, but I think they're close enough to where they can get back into the conversation of 
hey, if things go their way in a playoff series, they have a chance to take down the Atlanta Braves. And it's because of this offense. This offense being able to hit Spencer Strider is encouraging to see. And it's not just veteran players. It is because you have young core players, as you mentioned, in Gorman and Walker. And you still got Mason Wynn, who's developing. We'll see how his bat comes along with him. You saw Burleson last night have a really good game. I think this Cardinals team is close to the Atlanta Braves. And I know that's weird to say because they sit in last place in the NL Central and are going to lose. offense. Yes. <laughs> but I think a I think if you add quality pitching this offseason, I think you're right there in the same conversation. Not to the degree of, hey, you're in Tier 1 with Atlanta, because Atlanta probably owns that tier. They've got like a 10-year lease on that right now. But you can get into that second tier with a good spending offseason. I think that's a really important point. Because when you look at back at the last decade, right? really like the last seven years or so, the Dodgers owned that stretch. They were almost every year you come into the season and you say Dodgers best team in baseball or at least best team in the National League at a minimum. And that was no slight to some of the other National League contenders. They didn't go to the World Series every year. In fact, more often than not, they didn't end up in the World Series. Why is that? Because the best team doesn't always get there. Last year, I thought the Braves were the best team in the NL and I didn't know if there was a close second. I didn't get there. Because sometimes weird stuff happens in October. In fact, look at this series. If this was a three-game wildcard series right now, Cardinals up 2 nothing, they're done. Braves over. It can happen like that. We saw last year. I think the Cardinals were a better team last year than the Phillies. That sounds weird because the Phillies ended up going to the World Series. Yeah, weird stuff happens. The best team does not always win. And so when you look at what the Cardinals could become, can they get to where they can be competitive in a five to seven game series against a team like the Braves. If you add the necessary pitching this offseason, that is where I'm right there with you. I don't think there's any chance the Cardinals are a better regular season team next year than the Braves. That would shock me. But can you get to the place where you're close? You get into the playoffs and not a you give yourself a chance. You know you have a chance when you go up against the Atlanta Braves. That should be the goal to the offseason for this Cardinals team. Yeah, I think the years prior, though they got into the playoffs and wanted to convince you on the idea of, hey, get in and anything can happen, they were a third-tier team in the playoffs. The year against the Dodgers, they got hot. They they didn't have the pitching to go in in that 21 season outside of Adam Wainwright. They're going to have a rotation of Lester and Jay Happ to get you through the playoffs. And then last year, I still think they were probably arguably a third-tier team, if not a second-tier, but there were two teams in the top with the Dodgers and uh, the Atlanta Braves. I, I think you can get to that second tier by spending this offseason on pitching. And when I say spending, I don't even just necessarily mean dollars. I mean being willing to pull off a trade, too, potentially, because of this offense. So I know that I come off and I sound like the homer for the St. Louis Cardinals, as you probably heard the last hour. Uh, but I, I don't think it's crazy to think that if you bring in two quality starters, plus you add a number four to your rotation, go get a good bullpen arm or two that we could be talking about this team, not just back on top in the NL Central next year, but a team that can truly say, hey, we've got a shot to compete for that number two seed and be a team that, to your point, doesn't just have to squint to say we've got a shot against the Atlanta Braves. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. You guys can also watch us on YouTube. 101 ESPN STL is where you go to find us. Uh, this one comes from the 618. Guys, overanalyzing two games of scoring is certainly a way to fanboy about the Cardinals. That is not what I'm doing. We've been watching this team all season long. We've been analyzing the Cardinals offense all season long, and my stance has been very consistent. When you put this lineup and you stack it up against anybody not named the Braves, the core of it 
top seven or so hitters in it compared to any other lineup not named to the Braves, there's a pretty good chance if you're doing the blind taste test and you're just looking at the numbers of one versus the other, you're probably going to end up siding with the Cardinals. If you go Phillies versus Cardinals right now, Phillies have a pretty good offense, I think it's fair to say. You're probably end up siding with the Cardinals offense just based on the numbers that those players have put up individually. And so going into next year, I'm going to place my bet on that. And when you look at what they've done in these two games against the Braves, but really when you look at what they've done for the entirety of this season, I think you're starting to see a team that has put together the necessary offensive core to be able to go up against some of the best of the best. Yesterday was just simply the latest example of it. That was just a moment where you see them going up against what I think is the best offense in baseball and one of the best offenses that I've seen in recent memory in the sport, and they were able to outslug that team. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I want to talk about baseball in general and the wild card that we've added to this mix. Because T-Bone, I was excited about what they, when they implemented this. I still think overall it's a good thing for the sport because I think oh, October is more fun with a new team added into the mix. I also think this is an embarrassing race that we are going to see down the stretch. So we'll talk about how those te- two things can coexist. That's coming up at 1130. But coming up next, which NFL teams are entering the end of of their winning window right now. We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside T-Bone and Grin, I'm BK. We're just three nerds talking about the team here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Is the third wild card having the intended consequence that the Major League Baseball officials were looking for? We'll run the numbers in 15 minutes. (laughs) We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. But right now, there's a piece by our guy Nick Wagner, who previously wrote about the Rams when they were here in St. Louis. He had a piece earlier today about the 49ers and whether or not they can break through before their window officially closes in the NFL as a legit championship contender. He views them as one of the teams that is entering the end of their winning window. Guys, I think he's right on that because of the number of contracts that are starting to pile up. They had a few years there where they just hit on seemingly every pick in the NFL draft, and they built up such a strong core that it didn't matter that they wasted away three first-round picks on Trey Lance, a guy that basically never started for them at meaningful games, and they found a perfectly adequate starting quarterback, nothing more, nothing less, in Brock Purdy, and they can continue their winning ways. Other than the 49ers, who else would you put into that category that Wagner was talking about there that is entering what you believe to be the end of their winning window this season? So I've got two, and they're in both in the same division. I think Buffalo's there for me. I, For whatever reason, just the Buffalo Bills, you know, you look at the Stephon Diggs situation we've talked about where it doesn't feel like he really wants to be there. Um, it feels like they're in that kind of final year in which it is, hey, we really got to get over the hump this year with Josh Allen. Otherwise, we're probably looking at starting kind of a mini retool. So I would put Buffalo into this category. And it's weird to say this because I think it's the first year of the window, but it feels like the beginning of – the end of the window, and that's the New York Jets. I think the Jets fall into this category. Yes, they've got some of the top weapons. You know, you've got Wilson out there at wide receiver. They've got Sauce Gardner, but you've only got a limited window with Aaron Rodgers. He's probably playing, what, two years, three years? So, though their window is beginning, it's going to be one that's going to close rapidly, and I could see where things go south this year, that everything just kind of is in question mark for the New York Jets. So I think the Jets kind of fall into this. And if we're going to run off the the 49ers because of their contracts, 
Can we put Dallas in this category? Because they are a team that's getting close to having to pay. I wouldn't because of how many young players they have. I kind of agree, but they're starting to get those contracts. They're going to have to pay Parsons. They're going to have to pay Lamb. They've got to work out a new contract with Dak Prescott. So, like, their window, I think it's still open, but I think they kind of fall into the same category as the 49ers for me. I think the Cowboys are that question mark of – they can keep that window open, but they're going to have to do some things to keep it open. Like with what they currently have, it's not going to stay open for long. They're going to have to change some things or keep the things that they have there uh, to keep that window open. But they're going to have to do things to keep it open. It's not just going to stay open. Um, I think the bills are the most obvious one just because their window has been open for years now. And they've done nothing with it. They haven't even reached the Super Bowl. So that window is closing. A lot of players seem frustrated there with the the playoff losses that they've had in the past years. And as that keeps going, it just gets worse and worse until it all blows up. And it feels like that's about to come to a head here soon if that keeps going. And when you said the Jets, T-Bone, my first reaction was, what you said. It just started. Like Everybody just got high on the Jets. But you make a good point. Because who knows how long Aaron Rodgers is going to be viable with them. And even if he is, it probably won't last for long. Similar to the Buffalo Bills where it's like, hey, this is the end of this winning window for them. Because if you've got Josh Allen, if you've got a young superstar quarterback, you're in your winning window for as long as that guy's your quarterback. We saw this with the Packers. We've seen it with when Peyton Manning was in the league, Drew Brees, etc. If that guy's there, even if it doesn't mean competing for Super Bowls every year, you're winning 10-plus games. You're going to have a chance once you get into the playoffs, right? So the Bills are still going to have a winning window. It just won't be with this core group of players. That's what I think is ending right now. I think the same is true, at least to a degree, for the Bengals, for the Chargers, And you could argue that the same is true as well for like a team like Minnesota. So what I mean by that is, uh, let me put Minnesota off to the side here for a second. Cincinnati and the Chargers just are either in the midst of paying their quarterback with Cincinnati or just paid their quarterback with Herbert. When you do that, it changes the way that you can build your team. Look at the Chiefs, right? Tyreek Hill, why is he no longer in Kansas City? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think he wanted to be there anymore. I think he wanted to be the star of his own team. But two, they paid Patrick Mahomes. And at a certain point in time, you got to decide, are we willing to play, pay multiple players $30 million a year? Chiefs decided the answer to that question was no. It sounds like they're saying the same thing right now with Chris Jones. And eventually, you got to find a way to replace those guys with new, younger talent. And it, we'll see if the Bengals can do that. We'll see if the Chargers are going to be able to do that. But this core group of pieces, it is about to be on the outside looking in. Minnesota's a little different. Minnesota, the reason why I think they're entering the end of their winning window, which wasn't even all that long, because of the Kirk Cousins situation. Is he going to be back next year? Is he going to be around? What are they doing with Justin Jefferson? He's getting a contract extension, it sounds like. Are they even going to be good this year? Was last year a complete fluke? I don't know. But I think for all of those reasons, it's different than what I talked about with Cincinnati and the Chargers. But I would throw them into this mix as well. Yeah, the Chargers one is interesting because you kind of see them trying to go with those younger players that you're talking about, bringing them in. That's why they drafted uh, Quentin Johnson. So they could probably start to replace with young, more pieces for Justin Herbert as they start to pay him. I don't throw the Bengals in here yet because I need to see what Burroughs' contract looks like. Because there is going to be. I know it's going to be huge. But there is. 
talk at least, and you can call it just talk at this point, that he's going to try and make it friendlier for the team so they can keep their wide receiver weapons. And the cool. thing, so instead of taking 45, he's going to take 43. <laughs> yeah, what a hero, okay? He deserves credit for that. Um, the other thing, too, is the fact of the matter that, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't have any massive contracts on defense to where they can go with Burrow and then pay one, Jamar Chase one of their wide receivers. Now, sure, they will lose probably one of them, T. Higgins, for example, but I think if you can keep that's one, a big deal. yeah. But I think if you can keep one legitimate weapon, like look at Minnesota, for example, who was their one weapon last year? It was Justin Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Adam Thielen wasn't very good. KJ Osborne wasn't that great. They didn't really have a number two until they traded for Hawkins. Trey Hendrickson's making eighteen million dollars a year, so that's big money on the defensive side of the ball. But it's not like thirty like anybody else. Yeah. No. So like I their think, star defensively is their defensive coordinator. Yeah, exactly. And we'll see how they pan out this year because they did go younger in the secondary this year, did the Bengals. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but I. I guess I just don't put them in this category because they don't have any big-time contracts on the defensive side outside of Hendrickson. Um, the, the Vikings, I guess I didn't really consider them, mostly because I'm not sure they're winning this year. But I think, I think you make a good point. I think they are a team that couldn't be thrown in this conversation because of what you said. They've got Justin Jefferson. They're probably going to be paying him. What do they do at quarterback with Kirk Cousins? And then they just let Dalvin Cook go. We'll see what Madison looks like at running back. Now, they also drafted uh, Jordan Addison from USC, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how their pieces kind of come together. But they didn't even have a defense last year. So I don't really throw them into this category because I'm not sure I really viewed them as a winning window team. I just viewed them as, eh, you're just kind of there. You're there. So... The teams in the AFC are maybe the most interesting because of how loaded the conference is right now. Over on The Athletic, there was somebody uh, by the name of Mike Sando. He writes about a bunch of quarterback stuff. He talks to people around the league, very plugged in. And today he put together a piece after talking to six different executives around the NFL. He said, hey, I want you to write down your ranking of the teams in the AFC. And most of these executives, not surprising, had the Chiefs at number one in the AFC. Almost all of them unanimously had the Bengals at two. Number three is where it started to get interesting. Surprisingly, they actually ended up having the Jaguars as the consensus number three team in the AFC with the Bills at number four. I think most teams, most people, most fans that we would talk to would probably still have the Bills there, but I think you could argue one way or the other. I wanted to ask you guys this. Who do you think, behind the Chiefs and Bengals, who are the consensus one-two right now, is most likely out of this group of teams to finish as the third best team in the AFC? Is it the Ravens, the Chargers, or the Jets? Who is the team that is most likely in the AFC to make the leap this year that the Jaguars did a year ago? Ravens, Chargers, or Jets behind the Chiefs and the Bengals? I'm fully prepared to be heartbroken like you are every year with the Chargers, but I'm going to say the Ravens. Lamar Jackson coming back healthy, got his contract now, so he doesn't have to have any disputes there. I like the addition of OBJ to the wide receiver core and I love the fact that they actually hired a offensive coordinator for a change so I I like what the Ravens are doing I think they've got a solid defense they've got a stable head coach in Harbaugh I think Baltimore is the team that's going to surprise people and can jump into that number three spot this year in the AFC I'm right there with you I was going with the Ravens too yeah I mean it just looks like to me they are the team that really doesn't have that one huge weakness like 
everywhere that you look, they've got weapons. They've got solid players. They're solid all across the board. And I think that AFC North division is going to be extremely interesting this season because I think there are so many different ways I could see that division finishing. I could see the Ravens winning that division. Obviously, I can see the Bengals winning that division. The Steelers, who knows what they're going to look like. That The top three in that division is going to be all over the place. And I think the Ravens have a real opportunity to jump on that and become the top team in that division. It's there for the taking. I'm doing it. You're going to fall for them again? Every year, dude. Oh my gosh. Every year I fall for this damn team. And I can't help myself. The Los Angeles Chargers are the forbidden fruit that you know you shouldn't go out there and eat, but you do it anyways. And that's exactly why I'm going with the Ravens, by and, the way. And it's and it's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fall for it again. Man, look at their weapons. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, you add Quentin Johnston to the mix as well. You've got Austin Eckler, who is apparently going to be happy this year after getting a couple million bucks in terms of the Rays. That defense every year has stars all over it. If Joey Bosa can just stay healthy, if Derwin James can just stay healthy, there's no reason why they can't be a top five unit on that side of the ball. And you mentioned the offensive coordinator for the Ravens. Guess who else got a real offensive coordinator finally for the first time in years? The L.A. Chargers did. Now my guy, Justin Herbert, instead of dinking and dumping all over the place, he's going to be a guy that actually starts to push the ball down the field. He's got a weapon to do that in Mike Williams. I think he's going to be their number one guy. Again, just stay healthy this year. And I love what Quentin Johnston can bring to the table as a yards after catch type of a receiver. So I'm falling for it. Hook, line, and sinker. I do it every single year. I'm going to go so far as to say I would not be surprised if the Chargers end up with the best record in the AFC West this year. Whoa. I think that it is in play for them. And the reason why is because we're seeing the Chiefs are going to be without their top pass rusher for six weeks. They're going to be without their other top pass rusher for six weeks, potentially even up to eight weeks with Chris Jones missing games. And Travis Kelsey is dealing with a knee issue right now. He might play tonight, might not, but either way, he's banged up. That's not a great way to start out the season. Meanwhile, the Chargers are seemingly, at least for today, healthy. <laughs> Till week two. I think this might be the year. This might be the year that they actually break through. I'm still going to pick the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, but for the first eight weeks of the season or so, I think it, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody if the Chargers are the better team. I mean, you keep touching the hot stove, and at some point you're going to learn that it's just not going to happen for the Chargers until they get a good head coach. But I'm the guy then, that doesn't learn. I'm going to keep clearly, touching the hot stove, keep getting burnt, and I'll just patch things uh, over. You know, when they have Belichick there next year, I'll be 100% in on everything you just said. But with Brandon Staley, I have no faith in them figuring this thing out. I think there's a chance they are the team that misses the playoffs that should have made it. No, no, no. That, that would never happen. They have a great coach who would definitely not make any decisions that you look back on and say, that guy cost his team the game. Yeah. Wouldn't happen in the playoffs. Wouldn't happen at the end of the regular season. Brandon Staley has learned. He, unlike me, has touched the stove one too many times, and he's going to learn how to manage a game this time around. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line. We'll get to questions and answers coming up in 15 minutes. But next, is the third wild card having the intended consequences for Major League Baseball? I still enjoy it, but whew, this race is going to be tough to watch. We'll explain why coming up next year on 101 ESPN.
All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The National League wildcard race is an absolute disaster. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. A couple more days of vacation for Alex Ferrario. He will be back in on Monday. Right now, the Phillies are the top wildcard team in major in the National League. No surprise there. That makes a lot of sense. The Cubs have been playing good baseball for about two months now. They're the second wildcard. And then it kind of drops off a cliff. As of today, the Miami Marlins would have the third wild card. They just placed Sandy Alcantara and Jorge Soler on the injured list. The Diamondbacks have a negative 20 run differential on the season. They're four and six in their last 10 games. They have Corbin Carroll, who just got hurt earlier in the week. They're a half game back of the Marlins for that spot. The Reds, who have been an abject failure for like the last month, (laughs) They are a half game back of the last wild card spot. And the San Francisco Giants, who are at 500 and have lost their last six games and forgot how to hit, and oh, by the way, are running out of pitchers, they are now two and a half games back of the last wild card spot in the National League. T Bone, I understand why they went about it this way. I get it. It really makes a lot of sense, honestly. You get the three-game series in the wild card round. It ends up working out a lot better for television. You get more money for everybody involved. And honestly, there's more teams that stay in it as you get closer to the trade deadline. For all of those reasons, the extra wild card spot has had all of the intended consequences for Major League Baseball. And yet, this is the race that we get. How are you feeling today about the extra wild card that has been implemented? Uh, it's going like I thought it would, where there would be mediocre teams that would make the playoffs, and Major League Baseball would reward them for such things. I hate it. I, I hate that the third wild card is a thing, and I was not a fan of it when they expanded uh, last year. So uh, l- looking at this NL race, it's not exciting at all. The Marlins are bad. The Diamondbacks are bad. The Reds are bad. The Giants are bad. I don't want to root for any of those teams to make the playoffs, but somebody's going to back their way in, and I hope they get destroyed in the first round of the playoffs by the Cubs because it's not a compelling race at all. And I think that was part of baseball's thought process, because to your point, it was, hey, we're going to keep more teams in it, which in theory sounds nice until you look at this NL race and you go, do I really want more teams in it? Because all these teams have such major flaws to where though they are above 500, they're not in there's not one team in that group that I really want to see in postseason baseball. At least that's my opinion. You know, when you look at like a race in the AL, I do think that the AL race is pretty good. Like I, I see that when I go, okay, I can see why baseball, this was the intended purpose of the wild card, where you've got a great team like Toronto and Texas trying to battle it out for that third wild card spot. Plus, you've got Texas fighting for their division. But the National League is the consequence of it to where you can end up with teams that are mediocre that are around 500 that kind of hang in it that really just should not be a part of playoff conversations what happened to the nl central 
Because I was told all offseason and then even into the regular season, this is the worst division in baseball. And there's going to be one team that ends up getting into the postseason out of it. Well, now you've got two that are basically locks between the Brewers and the Cubs. You've got a third that's right there on the cusp of potentially making it to the playoffs as well. Meanwhile, I look over at the NL East like the Braves are amazing. The Phillies are basically the Brewers this year. The Marlins are basically the Reds so far this year. And the same thing is kind of true about the West. Dodgers really good. The Diamondbacks are essentially what the Reds have been, though. The Giants are a massive disappointment. The Padres are basically the Cardinals. Like, the NL Central ended up being every bit as good as any other division in the National League this year. And I do wonder... What does that mean for the Cardinals going into next season? Like, I I think that the Cubs are here to stay. I don't think this is a one-off or a fluke. They've got really good pitching. They've got an excellent defense. And they're going to go out and spend this offseason, I would imagine, to continue to build around the core that they have. The Reds aren't going anywhere. All their guys are young and cost-controlled for years to come. The Brewers are just a well-run organization that's going to win 85 to 90 games every year at this point in time. If you're the Cardinals, that means that you've got to up the ante as well. Forget what happened this year. Just look around you in the division. What you've done in the past few wouldn't even work even if this was a quality season for the Cardinals. They've got to start building to be able to contend with the Phillies or the Diamondbacks or the Padres or the Giants in future years. Because that's what it's going to take to win this division again. Yeah, you can't act like the class of the NL Central because you're not. Milwaukee is. Milwaukee is the class of the NL Central now. And even if you do view this season as kind of a fluke year, which I think is somewhat fair. Now, I think there were definitely signs that were flashing that told you this could be a rough year. And that was your pitching staff going into it. But... You're right. You can't just go into next year saying, hey, we're kind of the classy NL Central. We just do a couple tweaks. We're a team that's going to be the top dog in the NL Central. No, these teams, to your point, not only are they kind of on the stage now, like the Reds, the Cubs, and the Brewers, they've got more talent coming. You look at the Cubs. They've got a decent farm system. They're going to be spending. The Reds still have more talent that's down in their pipeline. You look at, I I think Pittsburgh's the team that can just be written off. But Milwaukee's got some prospects that are getting ready to come up through their pipeline as well. And as you said, they are a constant like 90-win team now. You do have to up the ante if you're the St. Louis Cardinals. You can no longer look at your division and say, hey, we are the class of this division. We don't have to worry about it. I, I remember when we had Buster on probably a year ago, year and a half ago, he said the consensus across baseball, baseball is that the Cardinals have gotten complacent because of the division they are in. Well, now now's the wake-up call. Now's the wake-up call. This season is the wake-up call for the Cardinals where they say, okay, what we were doing, we need to change, and that's part of the changing of the model because we need to get back to being the class of the NL Central. Right now, we're just kind of in that stuck middle ground with the Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds. So as I look at the other side of the wild-card contenders, I look to the Texas Rangers – And I think to myself, what the hell happened there? This was a team that, man, a month ago, we were right at the deadline saying, watch out. You get Max Scherzer, you get Jordan Montgomery. Christian's a nice piece to have, but he should be like a sixth inning reliever for them, whatever. And you have a great offense. We were talking about them offensively in a similar ilk to what we were talking about with the Atlanta Braves. And now they're four and 15 in their last 19 games. That has taken place despite the fact that they have not exactly had a murderer's row of scheduling in this stretch. T-Bone, what the hell happened to the Texas Rangers? They are now, as of today, 
out of the playoffs a half game back of the Toronto Blue Jays for that final wild card spot. So two things have really gone wrong for the Rangers. One, their bullpen just is not good enough. The addition of Chris Stratton, he's been kind of elevated. To your point, he's supposed to be like a sixth inning, fifth inning kind of reliever for you, middle relief. He's having to be elevated because the bullpen's struggling so much. So they've, they're kind of trying to piece the bullpen together right now. Their bullpen's been terrible since the trade deadline. Um, and the offense has gone cold for them. Offensively, they've gone through a massive rut. I think I saw since August 1st, they're hitting like 211 with runners Oof. in scoring position. So when the offense goes cold and you don't have a bullpen that can help stitch it together once your starters, which the rotation's fine, but the bullpen's the thing that can really haunt you if you're a team like the Texas Rangers, and they're going through that right now. So many teams that don't have good enough bullpens either miss the playoffs or it's what costs them in the playoffs. Remember the Dodgers teams in the early, what was that, 2010s, 2015? Those teams were really good. They didn't have a bullpen at all that could help them in the playoffs, and that's what the Texas Rangers are going through right now. One thing that I do worry about with a team like the Texas Rangers is they are very reliant upon the long ball, and it's something that honestly kind of makes me wonder about. I I love the Braves. I want to say that up front, but in the postseason, while it is super important to slug baby slug, T-Bone's told us a lot about that. If your offense goes cold, and we saw this from the Cardinals last year, if it goes cold for a three-game stretch with the home run balls, suddenly you find yourself in a situation where you're saying, like, whoa, what's gone wrong here? Like, Ronald Acuna Jr., we can we can rely on this guy. And they've got so many dudes in their lineup that I don't think it's going to happen to them, at least early on in the postseason. But, man, if it does, suddenly you get kind of worried about what's going on and you start grip, gripping the bats a little tighter. I think that might be part of what's happening with the Rangers as well, is suddenly you're going through a little bit of a cold spell with them offensively, and everybody's kind of looking around like, Wait, but we've been built on this offense all year long. We started out just slugging like crazy. They were on this historically great pace. And when that's not there for them to hang their hat on, suddenly got to look a little bit more to the pitching side of things. You got to look a little bit more to the defensive side of things. And if that's not able to prop up the offense while you're going through this dry spell, you end up with a series like they just had against the Astros where Houston scored 13, 14, and 12, and it's just game over brutal uh that that's why going into the postseason i'd much rather be a team that when you look at like when you look at a team going into the postseason you say what's their strength it's their pitching i'd rather say that about a team than their offense because i do have some concerns about the Braves. i I mean they're a juggernaut and i think they will escape through the nl but my concern with them is to your point on the home runs the fact that they hit so many but also too their bullpen is slowly starting to thin out colin McHugh just went on the il after pitching against the st louis cardinals their bullpen is viewed as a weakness well, okay, well, Strider's not a guy that's going to go eight innings in a playoff game. Like, he's a typical, he's like a Blake Snell 2.0, no. five, six innings. Well, then you get turned over to the pin. Well, if you don't trust your pin, you have to outslug your problem. Well, what happens if the offense does go cold? Boom, five-game set, you're out. Seven-game set, you're out. That's why going into a playoff series, I'd much rather be a team that I look at and go, you know what, I think pitching is their strongest suit. Who would you say is that in the National League right now, though? In the National League? That's where things get really tough. Is like, I don't view it that way for the Dodgers right now because of all the injuries and now no. the suspension to Julio Urias. I mean, it the sounds... The Brewers are probably the closest thing to what you're describing and maybe then the Phillies. Those are probably the two I, teams. So the the Phillies are an interesting case because like I don't when I think Phillies, I don't think pitching. I think they're offense. But they have it. But they have the pitching. So I, I really like the Phillies. And to your point on the Brewers, I, I really do like the Brewers because you match up against them in a series... Their offense, like they're gonna have to win games like three to two in the playoffs, and that just makes me so nervous. Like I, I, exactly. I don't think that the Phil- the Brewers have enough offensively to be able to make it through. I, if there is a team that can unseat the Braves this year, I think it is the same thing that we saw last year. I think it's the Phillies 
because they have the pitching. Their bullpen has been really good this year, and they have the offense to be able to go head-to-head in a seven-game series against Atlanta. I don't think they have a better offense than Atlanta, but I do think that in a seven-game series, they can play up, and they can be right there with Atlanta. So I, it's that's where it gets really interesting, but this third wild-card spot, dude, whew. It is ugly in Can't the National wait League to right watch now. one of those teams in the playoffs. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Uh, let's start with this from the 636. Guys, my question is this. Do you think that Mo will get the starting pitching that the Cardinals need? I'm talking about Snell, Gray, those types, instead of going out and getting somebody like a Michael Waka or the best choice brand pitching. Thank you. I think they have to. Um, and if they don't, it's a failure of an offseason. So, yeah, I think they will get somebody in that top line starting pitching market. Now, that might mean Sonny Gray. It might mean Aaron Nola. Could mean Blake Snell. I think those are the three current Major League Baseball pitchers that are in that market. Um, it could mean Imanaga from Japan. Could mean Yamamoto from Japan. I think those are probably the five guys that you can choose from or a trade route. But yeah, I think they have to get one of those players. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think they will get one of those players um, because look at where they are right now. Ownership's going to react and try to put a winner back on the field next year. And how are you going to do that? You're going to have to go out and spend some money on starting pitching and not just piece together some toothpicks and bubble gum to build a rotation. No, you got to go out and get a top end arm on the free agent market. So, yeah, I expect the Cardinals to be very aggressive. I expect them to be one of the most aggressive teams this offseason. So, yes, I think they are signing at least one of those arms. Uh, 314-399-9646. T-Bone, I'll take this one so that way you don't get in trouble. Uh, From the 314. Hey, man, if you want to answer, go for it. Uh, 314. This is a question that we've had roughly 57 times. I'm still questioning what happened over the year over the last hour. Can you guys please explain to me what I just heard? Oh, yeah, it's better. I don't comment. <laughs> That's what I figured. Um, so that was Josh Innes. He hosts Afternoons on Casey. Um, I was in Houston working on the morning show with Nick Wright when Josh was the afternoon host. So I had a pretty good idea of what we were going to have on the air uh, during the 10 a.m. hour today, and I was very curious to see what the reaction was going to be. I got to be honest, St. Louis took it a little better than I was expecting. I didn't know how that was going to go over here. Josh has a different way of doing radio than a lot of us do here on the station. It's neither good nor bad. A lot of you really love it. Some of you really hated it. There's not a lot of you that fell somewhere in between. It was really on one end of the spectrum or the other. I do radio a certain kind of way. Randy does it very differently. The fast lane does it a little differently as well. Everybody's got their way to do radio. I don't think that makes any of them wrong. And that's where me and Josh probably disagree. He views his way as the only way to do radio. Um, But his way definitely gets you fired up. And it is calling everybody out. He is going to hold feet to the fire. All the things that you guys get mad about. That dude is going to do all of that stuff. And he goes about it in a certain kind of way. It's just different than what I do. I like the numbers. I find them to be super interesting sometimes. Josh thinks I'm a nerd. That's okay. Neither here nor there. 
Um, that's, that's just, there's different ways to go about it. And he does a very different style of sports radio than what I do. So that's the way that I would say it. Yep. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service X line from the 618. Guys, who do you think wins tonight and why is it the Lions? T-Bone, who you got tonight? So I'm going to sit on the fence. Classic here on BK and Ferrario. Probably doesn't happen on Josh show either. Um, I, if Kelsey plays, I do like the Chiefs because he is such a difference maker for the offense. If he does not play, I do like the Lions. And I kind of went on that uh, assumption yesterday when I put my bet in when I was over in Illinois and called me a little concerned that he's questionable and I'm starting to get the sense that he's going to play tonight. But if he's out, I do like the Detroit Lions. And I think this is going to be a shootout. So I would say if you're looking for one line to take, take the over in this game. Um, I actually would go the opposite direction. I think I would take the under in this one. I'm kidding. This is the this is the exact type of game where you take the over, uh, especially I think, early on in the season. Yeah, I think the Chiefs end up winning this. Andy Reid in the openers typically has something special cooked up. Now, my one concern with it is I, if Travis Kelsey was expected to miss this game as of like three weeks ago and Andy could have game planned around that, I would feel much more confident than I do right now. But it's kind of wild that we're in this situation where the Chiefs are very likely to be without Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones and Charles Aminihue tonight. And all of us are like, yeah, they'll be fine. Going up against a potential playoff team in the Detroit Lions, it'll be fine. That That is a crazy place where we have arrived with this team where it, it seems like none of the other pieces matter as long as 15's on the field. And that, that may end up being proven correct, but that I can't think of many other teams in sports where that's the case. Where as long as one guy's on the field or the court, you feel like they're going to win. Like Messi on Miami right now is <laughs> yeah. that way. Um, but that has as much to do with the competition level as it does with him specifically. LeBron has that to him. Sure. But more so like five years ago than right now, yeah, I would say. Absolutely. Steph sometimes has that. But even you look at the Golden State Warriors, they had a couple of years ago where they, they were dropping like flies injury wise and he couldn't make it work. It It's very rare to see something like that. Yeah, I, I just view Mahomes and we've talked about this. To where it's like, like I viewed Tom Brady in New England. Oh, what's his wide receiver core? I really don't care. Tom Brady's going to make it work. And that's how I view Patrick Mahomes. And I think he's earned that right to where until I see him fail by missing key weapons like Travis Kelsey, like uh, he's been gone a year now plus in Tyreek Hill. But until I see it fail, I'm always going to look at Patrick Mahomes and go, that is Superman right there. And, and that guy can win with anything. That's why, because of what you just said, if this game does turn into a shootout, I don't like the Lions' chances. I think if the Lions are going to stay in this game or have a chance to win, they're going to have to keep the Chiefs' points down a little bit. They're going to have to not get into, into that shootout because if it's a shootout and it's Jared Goff versus Patrick Mahomes, like you said, Tanner, I don't really care who Patrick Mahomes has. I'm taking Patrick Mahomes. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Your Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Guys, everybody's going to be watching Texas versus Alabama. But if you could only watch one other college football game this weekend, which one would you choose? Now, I'm going to set aside the local games because we're going to be watching those for business as much as anything else. ILL. If I could watch one other game, and I'm not kidding, it would be Colorado. I want to see what this looks like, dude. It's one of the biggest story. I, I am as excited to watch Colorado take on the fighting Nebraska Cornhuskers as I am to watch any of the NFL games this weekend. That's crazy for me. Yeah, whoa. I, I don't know that I've ever been in that spot, but 
I'm fascinated by the Deion Sanders storyline. So for me, it, it would be Colorado versus Nebraska. It is definitely not the best game on the slate. Like Ole Miss versus Tulane is a better game, but I, I'm going to be locked in for Colorado versus Nebraska. See, Tulane and Ole Miss is the game for me. I'm a sucker for a great non-Power 5 team. It's why I've always been a fan of expanding the college football playoff because I hate how we have five conferences that don't matter. And when I look at Tulane, ranked 24, I think they've got a shot against Ole Miss this year. And anytime there is a good non-Power 5 game, like two ranked teams, you know this because we do the pick them last yeah. year. You know, we come up with our whatever it is, nine games that we select from. And I kept going, hey, Tulane's playing like UCF. And you're like, dude, that's a non-Power 5. Yeah, but they deserve some credit, BK. They do when they're playing Power 5 teams. Yeah, and that's this why. This weekend, I, that'll be a game that we. And I can't tell you how hard I'm going to be rooting for Tulane. I, I want Tulane to beat Ole Miss so bad and take it to an SEC team. So They've this, got a real quarterback, Tulane yeah, does. Like an is, NFL prospect at quarterback. This is the game for me that I look at and I say, if I can only watch one college football game this weekend, I would lock in on Tulane and Ole Miss. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. That is your guys' way to get involved in the show. You guys can also watch us on YouTube. 101 ESPN STL is where you go to find it. We've got a chat going on over there as well. Coming up next... The top overseas pitcher is probably not going to be a Cardinal, but can I tell you about the second best pitcher coming from overseas? We'll tell you about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's someone that can debut and be a number two or number three starter. Now, I don't think he's got the stuff and the physical dominance on the mound of Shohei Otani, but he's got plenty of swing and miss. And that is exactly what the Cardinals are looking for. They're going to have to spend big in free agency. They're going to have to bring at least two arms into that rotation, if not three. I think he'd be a great target. It's going to be a hard sign. I think he gets well over $100 million, which is way steep, and we'll see if the Cardinals want to go there. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Greg Amsinger on the morning show earlier today talking about the other pitcher that is likely to come over from Japan. You all have been excited about uh, Yamamoto. Let me tell you about the guy that you probably don't know enough about, which is Imanaga. T-Bone, I don't think that the Cardinals are going to be going to the extent that Yamamoto will require. He is very likely to get 200 plus million dollars this offseason. Now, I want to say this up front. I would have no problem with them going the full freight and hell getting both of these guys, just putting them both at the front end of their rotation and saying to hell with it. We don't have to give up a draft pick to be able to sign either of these guys. Imanaga's 30. Yamamoto is 25. Let's just go ahead and ride this thing out. We'll see what it looks like. I'd be totally fine with that. But the odds of them paying the posting fee and paying the $200 million for a pitcher that has never thrown here. I think it's slim to none. So the likelihood is they'll probably look to the current free agent crop that is already in the major leagues to be able to be that number one guy for them. This is not me letting them off the hook. I'm just telling you, I think they're more likely to sign like an Aaron Nola, Blake Snell, Sonny Gray than they are to sign a Yamamoto. I do think Imanaga is a really intriguing option for the Cardinals. One place that I disagree with Amzinger, I don't think he's going to get more than $100 million on the open market. The guy is 30 years old. He's going to be coming over, and it's pretty similar to what we saw last year um, with Kodai Senga. I think you should expect something pretty similar. 15 to $20 million a year, three- to four-year contract, something in that lane. So less than $100 million. And T-Bone, for that, 
I think you can't really come up with a better second best pitcher that the Cardinals could acquire this offseason. I think he is the ideal second best pitcher that you go out there and get. Yeah, I don't mind if you elect to bring him in as kind of that second pitcher that you go after. My my one concern is that you just don't know how he's going to translate to the big leagues. Huge and that, concern. that would be my big concern of bringing him as the number two, because that means you're relying on him to be the number two of this rotation. And whoever you spend the money on, Nola, Gray, whoever it is, is the number one. Well, if he doesn't translate to the big leagues, you're looking at a massive hole on your roster at that number two spot, and he's on a contract for, as you said, three, four years. I don't think it will be the $100 million either. I I agree with you there, but I don't mind them bringing him in. I think he is worth at least saying, you know what, if we can't go out there to get two top-end arms or we don't want to give up two, we don't want to sign two guys that have a QO attached to him, I'm okay with them deciding to go, okay, let's go after uh, Imanaga because we think he can translate to the big leagues and the Cardinals have had success bringing guys over from overseas. Think of the first year with KK. Think of Suguano when he came over. Uh, Michaelis, who they signed from overseas, who has been really good. So they have had success when it comes to their overseas signings from over in Japan and Korea. So I, if they truly believe that he can translate to the big leagues, I'm okay with them saying, okay, let's go pay him. We'll pay the posting fee. This way we don't have to give up two picks for two guys that have the QO to be at the front end of our rotation. So that's the big part is he's not attached to the qualifying offer. Now you have to decide what's the posting fee worth for you. Somebody on the text line makes a fair point from the 314. Guys, he might end up making about $100 million if you include the posting fee to what he's going to get for his Japanese team. Exactly. If he ends up getting a $100 million contract, you would have to add... About $15, $20 million in terms of the posting fee. It's right in that range. That is a lot of money that is not included in the contract that is a separate fee that you have to pay to his uh, his team in Japan. The question that the Cardinals will then have to answer is, what's more valuable, that posting fee where it's just money or the pick that we're going to have to give up? Because if you go sign, like let's say they end up not getting a guy free agent wise that's attached to the qualifying offer and maybe they end up signing instead of Imanaga they go out and they say we're going to pay the full freight for Yamamoto yeah 25 years old eight years 25 a year we're going for it this is our guy we believe in him and then the second best pitcher that they go out there and acquire is I don't know let's call it Eduardo Rodriguez who's going to opt out of his contract So instead of giving up the picks, they've gone out there and gotten two really high-level pitchers, and they just paid more for it. Is that better, or is it better to give up the draft pick to pay less to the guy that you're going out there and acquiring? I I don't know how they're going to value that, but them picking in the top 35 for the second pick that they end up getting, I would have to imagine somebody like John Mosellock is going to be valuing that. Yeah, and it'd be back-to-back years in which you'd be giving up a, Q- a draft pick because you signed a guy on a QO as well. Remember, they gave up a pick this year when they signed Wilson Contreras because he had the QO attached to him with the Chicago Cubs as well. So I, I think when you're looking at the free agent market, I think you have to almost say we're going to be losing a draft pick this year because we talk about the top-end market guys. All of them are going to have draft picks attached to them. The only guy that probably wasn't going to was Giolito, and now I will look at him and go, eh. I don't know if I want to give that guy a multi-year contract. Well, let's stick with that line of thinking here for a second. How much are you paying attention to what these upcoming free agents are doing right now? Because Giolito is a disaster. Have you seen what Jack Flaherty's done? He's been bad going over to Baltimore. They're starting to turn on him as well in Baltimore now because of his performance there. 
How much are you paying attention to what these guys are doing in the stretch run for their respective teams? So for most of these guys, I would say not a lot. Like, I'm not really paying attention to what NOLA does because I think I know what NOLA is. Not really paying attention to Sonny Gray and what he does because I think I know what he is and he's been awesome this year. I think there are the only guy that I've really circled to say, okay, I would I'm keeping an eye on what he does is Giolito because of the struggles. Snell kind of falls in the same category of NOLA for me. Like, I know what he is. I'm not too concerned. I'm still a little intrigued by Lucas Giolito because everything that I've said prior to his struggles before the deadline where I think he still can develop into a top arm. Problem is, is the struggles that he's really been going through lately. If those continue, uh, he's off my list. If he can't turn it around in the final, like, three starts this year with Cleveland, uh, he's off the list. He cannot be signed. What if he ends up taking a one-year deal? No. He's been that bad. He does. He you cannot bring him in on a one year kind of prove it deal. So I I he's the only guy for me that I'm kind of keeping an eye on. I'm not really keeping an eye on Jack because I just assume there's not going to be a reunion with yeah. Jack. Um, but he's the one guy for me that I kind of circle in this free agent class and go. I'm really intrigued to see what it looks like down the stretch for Giolito in Cleveland. I have a wandering eye for Jordan Montgomery again. Oh, come on. I, I keep seeing some of the numbers, and I keep looking at what they have available to them, the Cardinals on the free agent market, and I think to myself, man, is the best one the one that was already here? You don't have to give up a QO pick for him. He's going to be really good again next year, most likely. Now, his most recent start was not good. It was against Minnesota, went three and two-thirds, gave up six. But prior to that, man, he'd been awesome. So far for the Texas Rangers before that start, he had a 2.3 ERA for them. Even when you include that start for the Rangers, he has a 3.6 ERA. That's basically what he was last year for the Cardinals after he came over. So he's doing the same thing for the Rangers that he did for the cards. He would not be my top choice. My top choice is still Aaron Nola. I love him. Blake Snell's up there for me. Would love to get one of the two pitchers coming over from Japan, but no qualifying offer pick probably getting closer to 20 mil a year than the 30 mil a year for some of these other guys that we've talked about. I'm not opposed to going out there and looking at a guy like Jordan Montgomery in a reunion. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't be either because he doesn't have the QO. And if you can go out and find another top end arm, like you do sign a Aaron Nola, which I still believe is the top target for the Cardinals. And then you look at that second tier mark and go, okay, we're not giving him another pick to go get Sonny Gray, even though he would be great. Giolito, we're not going to go after him. Who is that number two? Do we want to go with a guy that there is kind of certainty with in Jordan Montgomery, or do we go overseas to Imunaga, who, though we think we know what we have there, we don't know how it truly translates to the big leagues. I think then I would listen to Montgomery. I just, I, I continue to say this. This team just feels like it needs a complete change. Change yep. for change. They do not need to bring back any reunions. They just need to go out and find somebody else and try and piece it together that way. And that's why I would say, Gray for me would be a guy to target. Nola, a guy to target. Um, even Naga to target just because it's change. I, I don't want to see them run it back with anybody from this current roster that's in this rotation. 314 399 9646 is the air comfort service tax line. Coming up next, you give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely in a game we call more likely to happen here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Three. 
314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. Let's start out with this one. Guys, more likely to miss the playoffs this season. The Buffalo Bills or the Cleveland Browns? Oh, I think it's the Cleveland Browns. I I don't understand the hype around the Cleveland Browns. There was nothing I saw last year when Watson returned to where I was like, well, that's it. Hey, this team could be a playoff team next year when they get a full season from him. He was terrible last year. He was. Everything around him is good. The offensive line is excellent. They've got good weapons. They have a really good running game. The defense has one of the best pass rushers in the NFL and some really good secondary pieces. Like, it's all there. We all think that the coach is a pretty good coach. The question is, can the guy that was considered to be a top five quarterback in the NFL as recently as three years ago get back to being like an average quarterback? Because last year he was one of the worst in the league. Yeah. But that's that's why. That's yeah, oh, I, I'm not I'm not. I understand why there's hype around them. I think you're crazy if you're <laughs> believing in that hype, because I don't think there's any reason to believe in Deshaun Watson going into this year. And I honestly don't think Stefanski's that great of a head coach. So and they're a team that when I look at them, I go, they're built on Nick Chubb. And what have I said on this station since day one that I started? If you're a football team that I look at and go, you're built around your running back, then you're not going to have success. So I'd say it's definitely more likely that the Browns miss the playoffs than the Bills. I don't think they're a terrible football team, but I think the Browns are a lock to be last in the AFC North. Oh, wow. At this point. Like, That's what I'm saying. The Bengals, Ravens, and Steelers, I don't see the Browns being better than any of those teams. I just don't. So my thing with the Bills is this. I think the Bills are really good, and I know we all really like them. Do they have a great defense? Like, Do we still believe that to be true? Because two years ago it was. Last year it wasn't. And if Stephon Diggs isn't all in, which I sure doesn't seem like he is, I don't love Gabe, D- Gabe Davis, and he's their number two right now. I think there's a chance that Buffalo ends up taking that step back this year that we're all like, whoa, what happened to Buffalo? Remember when we were going into the season and they were like the Super Bowl favorites? I I could see something like that from them this year, mostly because their division has just gotten so much better, man. It's going to be hard to get wins in that AFC East. Same thing is true to a degree from the AFC North, but I could see the Browns getting in similar to the Ravens last year where they're 10-7 and seven and they get into the playoffs as a wild card team. So I actually think it's more likely that the Bills end up missing the playoffs than the Browns. I just think the Browns have so many fail-safes as long as Deshaun Watson is average. And I was such a fan of Deshaun, the football player, early in his career that I'm going to assume that he is able to get back to that. So I'm going to go the Bills missing the playoffs is more likely. T-Bone? More likely to get past the Braves and get to the, whether you would go NLCS or World Series. We'll say World Series because I assume the Braves will get to the NLCS. The Milwaukee Brewers or the Chicago Cubs? Ooh, that's an interesting one. Um... I'm going to go the Cubs because I trust their offense more. I don't think that the Brewers have the offense to be able to go on any kind of a deep run in the playoffs. I just don't believe it with them. So I'll go with the Cubs. I think they're the team that is more likely, even though I think obviously neither is particularly likely. I think I would go with the Brewers, actually, just because of their starting rotation. We saw what starting pitching can do in the playoffs last season. And T-Bone, didn't you say, I forget who it was, but someone said that a lot of executives around the MLB were concerned about going against the Brewers in the playoffs because of that starting rotation. Yeah, Jesse Rogers had a piece, I think it was last week, if I remember correctly. And a lot of the executives said, who's the team? They asked a lot of executives, 
what who's the team that can beat the Braves? And a lot, the chalk answer was the Dodgers. Sure. Um, but there were a handful that said that. that. I wouldn't say the Dodgers. But. I kind of agree because their pitching's really going through some in- issues now. I think it is Milwaukee or the Cubs. I the Cubs have Justin Steele. There's question marks about Stroman if he can come back in time. And then like their bullpen's good. And I understand the offense thing, but can they outslug the Braves? No. I don't think they can. Um, now, I really don't think the Brewers can, but I think their pitching can shut down the lineup enough to give them a chance, and I like the back end of their bullpen, too. So I would say Milwaukee. All I know is Javier Assad is the best pitcher I've ever seen. I love that so guy. So if, if that guy is going to be a part of their rotation, and it sure seems like he's going to be, um, that's a pretty damn good number two starter for you I'd behind Steele, who is right up there in the top three of the National League Cy Young race right now i'd give up walker for Hassan. that dude's a stud have you seen Hassan? yeah i mean he's amazing I, we said it every time that he pitched against the cardinals i don't understand how anybody ever hits against him like it, it doesn't make sense that anybody gets hits against him and yet he Could was it. just kind of reserved into their bullpen role it i'm shocked it took this long for them to make him into a starter He's got a 269 ERA on the season, and I'm getting yeah. ready to look up to see what his numbers are as a starter. But yeah, he's been incredible since he's moved to the rotation. Oh, his last outing, he went eight innings. Um, one before that, seven. As a starter, in six starts since he's been pushed the rotation, 195 ERA. Jesus. Holding opponents to a 212 batting average and a 614 OPS. Pretty good. I love that guy. Grant, what do you got for more likely to happen? All right, so a matchup this week in the NFL, Cardinals and Commanders. Oh, best one of the... Of the- the week more likely to happen the commanders don't finish last in the nfc east or the cardinals don't finish last in the nfc west commanders i think it's entirely possible that the giants are the worst team in the nfc east this year wow don't tell me that i accidentally ended up with like a best ball draft with kind of a giants build to it no. uh, yesterday um i would definitely do, i agree with bk i I can't see a scenario in which the Cardinals are not in last place. I can see where the commanders. You know what? What if the, the Rams, Rams find a way yeah, to be no, worse? No, no, about it. No. Let, let me let me let me reel no. that take in a little bit. It's That's entirely possible thinking. the Rams are the worst team in the no. NFL this year. No, 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 no. The Rams could get the number one pick. I no. Have you if seen Cooper that Cup Cardinals roster? Yeah. Have you seen the Rams, dude? Yeah. At least it's there's some talent to it. It's not significantly better than the oh, Cardinals. I they've disagree. got Stafford, so they've got a quarterback in. And they've got a defensive tackle in Aaron Donald. Who's their third best player right now? With Cup out? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, if you got to think probably... about it, then you know it's not <laughs> well, a good situation. Who's the top three players on the Cardinals? I mean, it's not good either. I agree with you. But yeah, if I... you get to a place where the season is, like, written off, they're going to shut down Aaron Donald and, and Matt Stafford. Especially Stafford, who's got injury concerns. I, I cannot see, and you can mark this down, 9-7 at 1223. There is no way in hell the Rams are in last place in the NFC West at the end of the year. No way. That is Arizona's for the taking. That team is trying to lose. And I, I know the Rams so are bad. too. I hope so bad the Cardinals find a way to be third in that division. No, it will not happen. They they may win one game if they are lucky. But the difference for me is the coaching that, helps you. Well, the Giants, yes. the Giants are much better than the Rams. So, like, it's going to be harder sure. for the Commanders to be better yeah. than the Giants. Yeah, well, if you ask me, like, you gave us a scenario, I think both teams finished last well, yeah, in, their, I agree. in their division. Um, I saw today a piece on ESPN. I can't remember who wrote it. It was either Dan Graziano or Jeremy Fowler. They're like, yeah, I can, who's a surprise team that can win their division? And one of them had the audacity to say the Commanders. I had to close out of that article because there's no way that they are winning the NFC East. They're not a playoff team. The hype around Sam Howell is ridiculous. Yes. Good defense. Yeah. 
No quarterback whatsoever. Good weapons. Jahan Dotson, one of the more underrated wide receivers in the league right now. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. Guys, more likely to pull off an upset over the weekend. The Colts at home against the Jaguars or the Steelers at home against the 49ers? Steelers. That one's I, easy, I, I think. I kind of like the Steelers this year. There's too many teams in the AFC to like. <laughs> yeah. So a really good team is going to miss the playoffs because of how deep that that conference is. Somebody should get an NFC spot. They should give out like five spots to the NFC and then the, a couple extra get to the uh, AFC. You were below 500. You don't get to be in the playoffs NFC. Uh, I actually would go with the Colts here because at least with the Steelers, there's kind of film on Trubisky. It's kind of a unknown. Trubisky. Or, sorry, uh, not Trubisky. Uh, like, is he back? No, sorry. <laughs> did, did I miss From the something? Dead. I said the wrong quarterback. Pickett was who I meant to say for Pittsburgh. There's some film on him. And I do agree with you. I am kind of high on the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I think with Richardson, there's just this big unknown of what he'll be in week one. So I can see where Jacksonville has not a lot of film and what he's going to be in this offense. And, like, he comes out and he just plays incredible here in week one. And then we look back on it and go, oh, that was just a fluke in week one. There's just a lot of unknowns with Richardson in this Colts offense. I actually would take the Colts to over the Steelers if I had to pick that upset. I guess it's a fair point, but I still like the Steelers more, especially at home against the 49ers. I, I think that's going to be a really good game. That might be my favorite game to watch this weekend. Um, but I, I think the Steelers, I, I do like them to win this game. I think if I was betting on a game this week, it might be that one. More likely to miss the playoffs this year after making it a year ago, the Dolphins or the Seahawks? More likely to miss the playoffs, Dolphins Dolphins or Seahawks? I'd go Dolphins too, and it's probably because I'm super high on those Seahawks, but um, I I think it's easy to see where it can go wrong for Miami. I think they are a really good team, but there's just way too many question marks around their quarterback situation and how, uh, how or if Tua can stay healthy for a full season. So I would definitely say... It's the Miami Dolphins. I can't see the Seahawks missing the playoffs. I think they're too good. I think they win the NFC West. For me, it's as easy as the Seahawks are in the NFC, and that's that. Like, if the Seahawks were in the AFC and the Dolphins were in the NFC, my answer would be the exact opposite. I'm totally with you. It's just harder to get in from the AFC. Like, you could see a scenario where, and I know I just said I'm lower on the Bills than most, but the Bills... The Jets, the Bengals, the Ravens, the Jaguars, the Chiefs, and the Chargers make it in the playoffs, and that ends up leaving out the Dolphins. That was seven teams that I think all of us are super high on going into the season. So it, at that scenario, Dolphins end up nine and nine and eight, ten and seven, and are on the outside looking, and maybe because of some tiebreaker with the Jets or the Bills. I could see something like that happening. So I, I think it's entirely dependent upon which conference you're in. It We should do some, like, it's almost like relegation for the NFL, but instead of being relegated to like college football, you get relegated to the NFC. If you were the worst team in the AFC out of the contenders going into the season, you end up going over to the NFC you so you have a, a better chance to get in <laughs> next year. I think that's something that the NFL should consider. All right, coming up next, what does a best case scenario season look like for Pavel Buchnevich this year? Does he have a chance to be one of the best wingers in the NFL or in the NHL? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. If you've listened to this station for any amount of time, you know I'm a 
Pavel Buchnevich apologist. I mean, I'm an apologist for just about everything, according to what you've heard over the course of the day to day here on 101 ESPN. But specifically with Pavel Buchnevich, big fan of what he's done for the St. Louis Blues. Alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK, you've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So Pavel Buchnevich, since coming over to the Blues, has just, you know, put up back-to-back seasons of 25 or more goals and put up back-to-back seasons of basically averaging out to like 75 to 80 points over the course of a full season. That's pretty damn good considering he's considered to be one of the best defensive wingers in the league as well. You love him on the PK. You love what he does for you there. Earlier today, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch continued their questions leading into this Blues season. And I thought Matthew DeFranks put together a really good piece, T-Bone, on how much more the Blues can realistically expect out of Buchnevich this season. Here's the beginning of his story. The names that you mentioned when you considered the best wingers in the NHL are probably something along the lines of David Pasternak, Nikita Kucherov, Matthew Kachuk, Rook Prisov, Mitch Marner, the superstars. But the guy that is right behind that group for the Blues is actually Pavel Buchnevich. Across the last two seasons, since being traded to the Blues, he has 140 points in 135 games. Only 13 other wingers in the league have outpaced Buchnevich on a points-per-game basis in this stretch of time. In fact, according to Matthew DeFranks, there were 20 wingers in the NHL to average at least one point per game since the start of the 21 season. Pavel Buchnevich and William Nylander are the only ones on that list that have never been selected to an all-star game. Buchnevich and Fiala are the only ones to have never received a vote for an individual award. And among those 20 wingers, only Marner has spent more time on the penalty kill than Pavel Buchnevich. Say all that to say this. Pavel Buchnevich is one of the most underappreciated wingers in the NHL. So what can you expect from him this year? Is it more of the same? Do you think if he is healthy for the entirety of the season, we can expect a little bit more? What are you looking for from Booch? So I, I think the best case would be kind of the staying the same, be about a point-per-game guy, stay healthy, round 82 points, I would say, is what my expectation would be. But is it crazy to think that if him, Thomas, and Cairo, that line sticks together for a big chunk of the season, that he could be a 90-point guy? I don't think that's crazy to say. Now, granted, I don't know if that line's going to stick together all year long. That would be my one that's thing. And the fact that because he's on the PK, and you got to love that stat that was read off because you've been the one that's always been saying he's the best penalty killer in Blues history. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's what I've seen. Yeah, I, I've been I, watching for at least eight years. <laughs> oh, is that right? Nice. <laughs> um, I, I think a point per game guy is what you should expect. The hope would be that he stays healthy for most of the year, plays right around that 72 to 82 game mark, and is a point per game guy. But I don't think it's crazy to think that if things go right and that top line sticks together, him, Thomas, Cairo, he could be a 90 point guy for the St. Louis Blues. You know, for years for the Florida Panthers, Alexander Barkov was looked at as the most underrated player in the NHL. Now he's not so underrated. Like he's well known as a superstar in the league. I wonder if Pavel Buchnevich is on that same track because in my opinion, he's been one of the most underrated players in the NHL for the past couple of seasons. And it's interesting, actually, you look at Barkov's numbers this past season, Buchnevich had, let's see, 67 points. Barkov had 78, so he had more, but Barkov also played more games. It's not all that different. And with the way that Pavel Buchnevich plays his two-way game, he has that offensive upside, especially T-Bone, as you said, if he's playing with Robert Thomas and he's playing on that top line consistently all season, he could put up massive numbers. I would not be shocked, and I'm not saying he's going to win it, but I would not be shocked if he ends up getting Selkie votes next season. He's in that conversation, I think. 
I think he can be Mitch Marner light. Yeah. I don't think he can be Mitch Marner because Mitch Marner's on a different level, right? This dude's putting up like close to 100 points every season. He's putting together like silky type of performances defensively. He's on the PK, does everything that you could, you could ask for. But can he be like the 85 to 90 point version of Mitch Marner? I think he could be that. And if he does become that because of the points, it shouldn't be the way that it works, but it is. We all know uh, similar to what happens with the Norris trophy voting. He'll get even more conversation about potentially being in the Selkie trophy watch lists because of what his offensive production is next year. If he does that and you see the blues take a little bit of a step forward with their goals allowed per game. I think you could see him in that kind of a range. So to answer the question of what do I think a best case scenario looks like this year, I think it's like 90 points for Pavel Buchnevich. Most importantly, it's that he stays healthy for the entirety of the season. He's probably given you like 35 goals, and he ends up being one of those guys that you trust defensively, and in any situation, you can put that dude on the ice, and you would know exactly what you're getting out of him. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that 90-point threshold, 35 goals, and you know he's a good defensive forward. And that's where like it comes down to when I mentioned that line sticking together of him, Thomas, and Cairo. comes down to Cairo. Does Cairo take that next step for you defensively? Because if he does, you've got Boots that's a good forward defensively. You've got Cairo who starts to look at least, hopefully, I'd say, what, average or yep. close to average. And then you've got Robert Thomas that you hope is a number one shutdown centerman. So if that's the case, then you're going to keep that top line together, and it comes along with some super high offensive upside. To where that's where it comes to the conversation of him being a 90-point guy and starting to enter into that Selkie watch list if you're the St. Louis Blues. If all of this happens, and he's up for a contract extension after next year, that's when things get real interesting. Because Buchnevich is in a is on a very team-friendly deal right now. It's $5.8 million this year in next. And then after next season, he's a free agent. Scott Free, no restricted rights. This is a pure free agent that would be hitting the market after the 2024 season. Do you guys think the, the Blues, if we he does what we're talking about here, puts up 85, 90 points this year, is great defensively, gets into the Selkie Trophy watch, is that going to be the type of player that the Blues decide, you know what, we'll pay him $9 million bucks a year? Or... What, what do you do there? How do you handle that potential scenario if you're the Blues? I, I think you have to do it. I think you have to bring him back and do the $9 million. Now, I know Army's not a fan of the guys going into their 30s on those contract extensions, and he'll be 29 mm-hmm. when that contract extension would kick in. It'd be 30 when it's kicking in. Yeah, 30. So, But I, I think when you look at him and his production, I think you have to ask yourself, can we get something better at $9 million for that? And we're a team that's trying to exit a retool, and who's the guy that we think can help be a part of that? I would think your answer would be Pavel Buchnevich on that first line with Thomas and Cairo. So I think, yes, I think they would have to, I don't know if I want to say eat and be willing to pay the price, but I, I think you look at Buchnevich and you go, that is a guy that's a focal point, that is a franchise pillar, and is a guy that is going to be part of the reason we exit this retool. Yeah, and I wonder, too, if we start to see contracts like what could be handed out to Buchnevich with higher AAVs because the cap is going up. And I also wonder, too, if Doug Armstrong starts to become a little bit more hesitant with handing out no trade clauses, which in turn would cause the AAV to go up as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see that type of uh, number going out to Buchnevich after the season. All right. Now I'm going to ask you guys a question. Who do you think is the Blues' best Calder Trophy candidate on the roster this year? If you had to play, make a bet this year, you're saying one Blues player is going to win the the Calder Trophy. I mean, the odds are they're not going to have anybody even in the mix for this. But 
Who would you put on, on this list? Well, I would probably put, I guess, who's there's only one rookie probably going to be on this team coming into the year, so it would I have to be, be somebody else. Hofer. I, I don't see like a – I would probably say Hofer because he's going to be getting playing time for the St. Louis Blues. Um, I Dean – Bolduc, if those guys make the team, they're probably going to be on the fourth line, and it's going to be tough to win the Calder Trophy if you're on the fourth line. So my answer would be Hofer. I would go Perunovic. I just don't know where his playing time's coming. That's why I can't say Perunovic. Grant? Yeah, I mean, that's really your only two is going to be Perunovic or Hofer. And like you said, I don't really see either of them winning it. I think... uh, I think Perunovic would have more of a chance than Hofer just because I don't think Hofer's going to get that much playing time over Bennington. The reason why I ask is because the Athletic put together a list of their top 20 candidates for the Calder Trophy. Can you believe Joel Hofer made this list? At number 20, it was all the way down the list. You couldn't go any further. (laughs) But here's what they wrote about him. There were a number of projected backup goalies who could have snuck onto the list here, but of the starting netminders in front of them, Jordan Bennington feels the most vulnerable. If Benner falters in terms of his play, Hofer, who is fresh off of winning the gold glove or the gold at Men's Worlds in, with Canada, uh, could quickly turn St. Louis's situation into a more of a tandem than a number one versus a number two. So basically, they're saying, hey. Hofer could do what Ville Husso did two years ago. He could turn this into a situation where it's almost a 50-50 split between the two of them. I I would be pretty surprised if that ends up happening. But the reason why I I wanted to ask about it, Joel Hofer did have a really good year last year down in the AHL for for the Blues. I, I do wonder if we're underestimating a little bit what he can do for the Blues as the backup goalie this year. The reason why I ask is because two years ago, imagine where the Blues would have been without Joel Hofer. They wouldn't have made the playoffs that year. If they are able to upgrade from what they had last year, which, let's be honest, wasn't a great backup goaltending situation, that could go a long way in masking some of the deficiencies that this team has defensively. Yeah, it could. And I and that's where if, if he can, whether it be take the job, steal the job, has to take the job from Jordan Bennington, then I think you ought, do have a serious conversation if he plays well in, what was it, the first four games last year, he looked really good, and then the last two he really struggled. If he becomes a guy that can take that Huso role to where if you have to turn to him for an extended period of stress because Bennington struggles, I can see where he could work his way into the conversation if he can play well enough. But I, since I didn't see Bennington's issues last year as being all on Jordan Bennington and it was a lot of defensive issues, a lot of tap-ins that led into goals, I see that issue still being here this year, which means I see it being tough for Joel Hofer to play up to that Calder Trophy level. I, I don't understand, honestly... <laughs> the way people look at Thomas Grice last season, I don't because everybody gives Jordan Bennington a free pass and they should based on how the play was last season. Thomas Grice should get that same pass too. I I don't really understand it. I think Grice was solid last year. I think if Hofer is Grice, it's fine. Like I I don't, I better though. If he's better then great. I, I don't think it's going to matter. I think the defense in front of him is going to matter. I think Grice was perfectly fine last season. Most people would not say that. I think every time Grice went out there, it's going to be the same exact situation if Bennington's out there or if Hofer's out there. And once Hofer got past his first couple of games and the newness worn off, 
he was doing the same thing as Grice and Bennington. Like, yep. it, it looked the exact same. So I don't really fall into that storyline very much. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, are there any Cardinals left with anything meaningful to prove to you the rest of the way? There's one that MLB.com wrote about. I'm not so sure I care about it. We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. And coming up next, we're going to give you a chance to score a pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean's Highway Desperado Tour. That's coming up next along with the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Have you ever had an embarrassing injury take place to you? Where oh, you're like, yeah. hey, I don't want to tell the full story on this, so I'm just going to go ahead and make something up here. Yeah, yeah. What's yours? Um, so one time I missed a basketball game because I was messing around and in the gym where they had like the stands out and I was kind of like, you know, not taking the stairs, running down the stands and I slipped, fell, landed on my hip and I had a hip injury that I missed a game <laughs> for and I didn't tell coach how it happened. Sure. What was your excuse? What would you come up with instead? Do you remember? I, can't, I, th- I think I said I heard it while, like, rebounding or something. Oh, I can't remember exactly what I said. Came down wrong on it, yeah, Coach. I, yeah. I think I tweaked this thing a little yeah. bit. Something like that. Grant, what's your, your worst injury story if you've got one? Where you're like, ah, can't tell the – don't want to tell the actual supervisor what really happened here, but here's what really took place. Well, I'll tell the story because sure. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> I have a scar above my left eye, and um, this was from two months ago, three months ago. Uh, when I was in New York, had a few beverages at a bar, and uh, stairs were hard. They typically are after being at yeah. a bar. Um, went to go up the stairs. To be fair, I was bumped into. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. I, yeah, I yeah. was. I, like, you said you are going to tell the true story. This is the true story. I was off balance. Like It was not all their fault, but I did bump into somebody sure. going up the stairs. Fell, hit my head on the wall, and uh, I was bleeding pretty bad. The security like wanted me to leave i was like i just fell like i I, they thought i got in a fight or something i was like i literally just fell um but yeah that was that was a rough rough day so as you guys know uh, as i was walking by ballpark village a couple of years ago for opening day i ran into a tree that was very unfortunate ended up with a scrape down my face from that one but that's not the worst one i've had whenever i was in high school playing football i had to miss a game as well t-bone my sophomore year because in the middle of the night i woke up with a cramp and pulled my calf that was very unfortunate wait that's a thing <laughs> yeah that, that oh was my a thing gosh. that actually happened oh um, I didn't know you could pull a muscle because you're cramping. Sure didn't. Neither oh, did I, buddy. Oh, Neither I did better I. start drinking more water because I wake up in the night sometime with those calf cramps. Yeah, so that one was bad. I think the one of our guys on the uh, the bachelor party over the weekend one-upped me, though. <laughs> oh, boy. So we're all sleeping at the end of the night. Right? We're in this cabin. Bunch of bunch of the beds were downstairs. There were a couple of bunk beds. We had some like cots that were laid out, a couple of couches. Everybody's downstairs for the most part, right? There's like 13 guys all in this house. At this point in time, we had spent most of the day day drinking outside, playing some beers, be hillbilly golf, all that stuff, right? Yeah, this sounds like a bad combo. So we get to the end of the night. Most of the guys are done. It's like 2, 3 a.m. One guy's still walking around. He's kind of meandering, right? Comes down the stairs, and I hear a boom. And then I just hear him say, mother, right? 
And I'm like, damn, I don't, I don't know what just happened. I didn't have my glasses on, didn't have my contacts. I'm obviously sleeping. But all I heard was the bang and then a cuss word. And then I didn't think anything of it because he got back up into bed. Get up the next day, though, and he's walking outside with a few of the other guys. And they come back in and they say, hey, Tim just left. I'm like, what? Tim just left. He thinks he's tore his bicep. So what do you mean? What happened? <laughs> what? He said... Well, he was climbing into the bed last night. He was on the top bunk, right? He's climbing into the bed, and he thinks as he was grabbing up to go up, he tore his bicep. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't think that's what happened here. That can't be a thing. I don't think that's how he tore his bicep. So I think what happened was he fell down the stairs, banged into the wall, tried to catch himself, and as he caught himself, he ended up te- tearing oh. the bicep off. Now, I will say... We were all kind of skeptical of whether or not he was actually having a torn bicep or not. We were all kind of looking at it like, oh, this dude just wants to get out of here. Like, he probably feels like crap. You wake up the day after. We're all 30 years old now. We're not in our primes anymore, right? We're washed. So he wakes up the next day. He's like, "Mm, I think it's probably time to get back to, to my hometown. He's from the North Carolina area. We're like in East Tennessee. He gets home. He schedules a doctor's visit for that day to go get it checked out. They immediately sent him to get an MRI on his bicep, full tear, tore the bicep by either getting up into his bed or falling down the stairs in the middle of the night. An all-time story, and now this dude, who is an attorney, has to figure out what to do with a torn bicep while trying to get through his day-to-day. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm not buying the climbing into bed thing. I... I don't even know if you really have to use your bicep completely to get into the bed that much to where you would tear it. I'm buying your story. I think he fell down the stairs. I think he braced, his, tried to brace himself and somehow tore his bicep doing so. Yeah. Did you hear he was going to the doctor's appointment and still go, nah, this ain't true? I, I assumed, like, this guy's just trying to get out of some he drinking gotta, games today. He, he already had a uh, he already had a doctor's appointment. He's just using this as to add on to this oh, fib. I, I assumed there was no doctor's appointment. Oh. I was like, this guy's pulling an Alex. He just wants to go home. He's done being in uh, this Tennessee Smoky Mountains area. He doesn't want to go play, you know, beer games for the next 12 hours again today. He's ready to go home. I could so picture Alex pulling off this move. We're in Alton next year, and he pulls a bar stool out to go sit down. And he goes, oh, my bicep. Oh, I got to go home and get this looked at. Somebody from the 314 sent in a great story from the 314. I was a goalie in a beer hockey league. I was down on the ice. My cup shifted. Guy rips a wrist or hit me right where the cup was supposed to be. One of the huevos swelled up, had to cancel a date, go get an ultrasound, told the gal, though, that I got into a wreck. That was an easier explanation for her. Lower body injury. (laughs) Exactly. Lower body injury. Yeah, I think if if this was like a first date, yeah, you you made the right decision. Or one of the first few days to say it was a wreck, not a beer league hockey game where you got injured. So that's the right call. I will tell you, I I learned on this trip that I am definitely out of my prime. I felt like I bounced back pretty well compared to some of the guys, but it it takes a little while longer. Grant, you're still in your prime. You're Mm -hmm. good. T-Bone, I don't know if you're in your prime, but you're there. Alex and I are officially washed. You get to a place where you're like, I knew he was 12 hours in the sun playing, you know, Beersby and bags and hillbilly golf. Whew. That next day, you wake up, and you just don't quite feel the same way as you used to. I'm offended that I got the pause to say that I'm out of my prime. I may be out of my prime athletically, but I can still party like a champ. Dude, my shoulder from the Frisbee and throwing the football around for a full day. You are washed. Oh, boy. I woke up that next day feeling muscles that I didn't even know I had. Are you 30? 
I thought you weren't yeah. 30 yet. 31. Holy crap, yeah. you're older than I thought. I am an old washed man is what I am. Yeah. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're playing a game of Believe It or Not. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are believing it or not here on 101 ESPN. But next, MLB.com says Tyler O'Neill is the Cardinal with the most to prove the rest of the way. Not only do I disagree with that, I'm not sure there's any Cardinal with a whole lot to prove the rest of the way. We'll discuss it, though, next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So who's the Cardinal with the most approved down the stretch? Alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK, Alex out today. He'll be back in on Monday. According to MLB.com, the answer to that question is Tyler O'Neill. Here's what John Denton wrote for them. The first thing that O'Neill needs to prove is that he can just stay healthy for the remainder of the season. The muscle-bound slugger has missed two and a half months with a back injury this season, and it's bothered him lately, along with a troublesome left knee. He's played just 65 games as a result. The Cardinals want O'Neill to be their everyday left fielder because of the gold glove defense that he brings, but O'Neill has been swinging the bat well lately. He's hitting home runs on both Saturday and on Tuesday. He is the one with the most approved the rest of the way. Again, that came from John Denton over at MLB.com in a piece that they wrote about the guy with the most approved for every team. I disagree with this because I don't think there's anything left for Tyler O'Neill to prove. At this point, we've seen it for, what, six years here in St. Louis? I know exactly who Tyler O'Neill is. He's got gold glove caliber defense when he's feeling right in left field. He can be somebody that steals 20-plus bases in a season if he's comfortable doing so. He can be a guy that hits the crap out of the ball and ends up as a borderline MVP candidate if he's feeling right. But all of that comes with the caveat of when he's right. He complained after the game earlier this week in Atlanta because the dirt was too wet. He thinks that it's too wet in the infield, and because of that, he was uncomfortable sliding into second. Well, Ronald Acuna Jr. seems to have no issues with it, and he's one of the best players in Major League Baseball. And he had knee issues all last year. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably okay uh, for you, Tyler O'Neill, to go out there and play on that. I have nothing left to learn about Tyler O'Neill the rest of the way. Here's the problem, though. I don't feel like there's a lot left for me to learn about any of these Cardinals the rest of the way. Like, I want to see what Mason Wynn looks like. I want to continue seeing progress from Jordan Walker. I would like to watch the starts from Zach Thompson to see if what we've seen is real. But I don't think there's really anybody left to prove anything the rest of the way. T-Bone, is there somebody that I'm missing in your mind? So there's one player that does come to mind for me that... I don't know if he technically would fit into kind of like a fork in the road moment because he's going to be back next year, but it's Giovanni Gallegos. He's a guy that's really kind of fallen out from where I thought he was going to be. You know, going into the year, we had him in the circle of trust, and then it's kind of just been a, a wry season for him. 4.59 ERA, a FIP 4.42, a lot higher from last year from both of those numbers. And I just looked this up because I was like, I feel like the last kind of month and a half has been bad for him. In his last nine games, which dates back to the start of August, he's only been able to go six innings, allowed eight earned runs, has a 12 ERA, 809 FIP, 400 batting average against, and a 1,200 OPS against. I think Gio's got something to prove. And when I say that, I mean prove that, hey, we can go into the offseason feeling comfortable with a back end of our bullpen of Helsley, JoJo, and Giovanni Gallegos. 
Right now, you can't say that. Right now, you can only go, you have Helsley, but there are limitations to him. You think you have JoJo. I think it's fair to go into next year saying, okay, JoJo Romero is going to be a guy that's going to have high leverage innings. And then who's the third arm? Who's the fourth arm, really, honestly, in this bullpen? You don't have those guys. And the Cardinals need Giovanni Gallegos to really show something down the stretch, in my opinion, to where they can go into next year going, okay, we just need to add one more bullpen arm that's got legitimate swing and miss stuff to be in the back end of this bullpen. Right now they need two because Gio just has not been the same guy that he has been previously in his whole Cardinals tenure. Grant, do you have anybody that immediately comes to mind for you of guys that you you think have something to prove the rest of the way? Yeah, Gio's a good one. I think another one is Matthew Liberator, who's getting relegated to the bullpen again. Um, I, Liberator hasn't taken any of his opportunities and run with it. And maybe now as he's going back to the bullpen, maybe he can take this opportunity and show that he does deserve a role on this team, whatever that role may be. But take your opportunity and do something with it. If Liberator could do anything the rest of the season, just show that you're worthy of having a spot on this team. So if there's anybody else that I think might have a chance to prove themselves down the stretch here, it's Matthew Liberator. I like it. My question, though, is, is there anything that he can do the rest of the way coming out of the bullpen that will like establish him in that role? Because my what I would think the Cardinals will do is going into next year. They're likely to have him coming out of the triple A rotation either way. Because he just has more value to you as somebody that can continue to be extended out as a starter and continue to develop that way than if he's coming out of your bullpen on opening day. So I, I don't know that he's like fighting for a spot out of your bullpen right now. And that would be my one concern about like him having to prove something out of the bullpen. If he was starting right now, I would feel differently. But because he's coming out of the bullpen, I, I don't know that he can prove anything to me. Do, do you feel differently? I think you're right, but I think he can prove something if he just pitches well, if he's consistent in his role. I think yep. that's the thing because everything he's done, he's done it inconsistently. So if he, if he can at least take his his spots when he gets the opportunities and just pitch consistently and even pitch average, but just be consistent. I think that could be a spot where, you know, it's not going to be much for him, but it's something that you can look at and say, maybe there's something there. I will say this about Libertor. They are with them pushing him to the pin. I would much rather instead of trying to have him be a long reliever for them. I would much rather see them try and use him in kind of burst like a Packy Naughton role when he was healthy as let's bring him in on a lefty lefty matchup and let's see what he does. One inning, just let it eat, as Ali Marmol likes to say. That with pushing him to the bullpen, I, I think you're right. If you're gonna just have him be stretched out, you know what his role is next year. He's gonna be down in AAA to start the year. I think he's honestly got a chance to be surpassed by a McGreevy and Graceffo on the depth chart by next year, too. So why not, if you're gonna push him into the bullpen, try him as a short, just high velocity, left handed arm that comes out of the pin? Can he be a packing knotten type pitcher for you that just goes one inning? With max effort. That's what I would prefer that they do with him down the stretch, but I don't think they're going to do that. So my guy that I think has a little something to prove, it's not a lot, let's be honest here, but a little something to prove because there were concerns about him as recently as a few weeks ago. It's Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt over the course of the last month has started to refine his power form. Now, it's not overwhelming. It's not anything that's going to blow you away, but in the last month he's played in 27 games, and in those 27 games, he has five doubles and five home runs. To put that in context, if that was over a 162-game season, it would be 30 doubles and 30 home runs. Pretty good. Not bad. You'd sign up for that next year if I told you that's what you could get out of Paul Goldschmidt in 2024. 
And I think we need to continue to see that the rest of the way, because there were real questions as recently as a few weeks ago about, hey, is Paul Goldschmidt just going to be this guy power wise? And the answer might be, yeah, like he, he might end up being somebody that projects more to 25 home runs in future seasons than he is 30 plus. I think you can get away with that with this team. The problem is if he ends up being a 20 home run guy, that's almost purely an on-base percentage player. If he suddenly becomes right-handed version of Lars Newtbar, well, you have lost a lot of thump now in the middle of your order. And now you got to think about, okay, what does that mean for the rest of our lineup, right? I think we underestimated what it meant for the Cardinals to have regression from Goldie and Arenado this year, what it meant for them to not have Albert Pujols batting fifth for them on a day-to-day basis this year. Next year, they had to think about, okay, what does this look like if Goldie is now going through a little bit of the the regression, the, the aging curve? And if he continues to hit like this the rest of the way, I think it does give you a little bit more confidence that in 2024, he can put together a similar, if not better, season than what we've seen from him in 2023. Yeah, and, and I do feel better about what we've seen recently because it, I, it's better to see him being the potential 30 home run guy, like you said, on what he's pacing out to be in 30 doubles. And also, too, like if the Cardinals front office brass does say we kind of want to lock up Paul Goldschmidt I would feel better about it if he finishes strong this season I still personally wouldn't do it but if they did do it I would understand can I throw another name into this conversation real quick does Alec Burleson have something to prove down the stretch I I, I don't want to say like he's basically fighting for his job for next year because I think he's on the roster because he's good puts uh barrel to ball numbers don't necessarily show that he's 11 percent below league average but can he show that he deserves to be a guy that's an everyday player for you and what I mean by that is left field is going to be kind of a question mark if you're going to uh, run Lars Newbar out in center field against righties next year what does the DH spot look like can Burleson be an everyday DH for you if you're going to put Donovan out in left field in that scenario I I like Alec Burleson I just want to see if, we, if he can potentially take the game just a little bit more can he get just another level up at the plate my big question about him is is the power going to happen or is he more of a slap hitter? Because he doesn't look like a slap hitter, right? You go, see him go up to the plate, and you're like, oh, this is a lefty power bat. Yeah. And then you see his second RBI from last night and go, well, that wasn't hit very hard. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not a guy that really so far in his big league career, he's young, 24 years old. He's not a guy so far that has hit for a whole lot of power. And that's that's not inherently a bad thing, but I just want to find out, is that something that's going to be there eventually? Is he going to start hitting for power? And it'd be nice to see that down the stretch. So I like that. There's something to prove with him. Somebody on the text line makes an interesting point. This comes from the 314. BK, to me, the person that has the most to prove the rest of the way is the front office. They need to prove that they are paying attention and evaluating pitching correctly so that this team doesn't go through the same pitching woes next year that it went through this season and that it can be a playoff contending offense. I think there's a lot of truth to that, but it's something that can't be evaluated until the offseason. I'm pretty confident the Cardinals front office is paying attention to what you're watching right now. I'm pretty confident the ownership group sees that there are a whole lot of empty seats out there at Bush Stadium right now. You guys are speaking with your actions as much as you are your words by texting in, by um, sending in your mic drops or whatever, right? Like, the actions of not going to games, that's what gets Bill DeWitt Jr.'s attention. It happened with Mike Matheny. It's happening right now with the roster. And that will be, if they go out and do it, what prompts them to make a big move with the pitching, pitching staff. I don't know that they're going to do it. They need to do it. 
and that's what's going to prompt them to doing so. So while I do agree that the the one with the most to prove is the front office, that is more of an off-season decision than it is an in-season one. And I actually think the one that's got to prove something is the ownership group. I think the ownership... I, I think John Mozeliak is more than happy to go out and give a big-time contract out to a starting pitcher. I think every GM across baseball for every team would love to do that. It comes down to, do I have the money? Yeah. Because if you are told at the beginning of the offseason, this is your budget, do not exceed it this year or year's future, then I have to play within that. And it becomes really difficult for me to add a $30 million pitcher if I've only got $40 million this offseason to work with and I've got to add seven pitchers to the roster between the rotation and the bullpen. That math equation doesn't really work out so well. So it really comes down to that the person with the most to prove is whether or not the ownership group is willing to spend what is going to be necessary going into this offseason. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't know if you can. I, I think the texture is right. I just don't know if you can evaluate that here in the final month of September, um, because just look at how they're kind of piecing together the bullpen right now. I mean, you got Casey Lawrence, Jacob Barnes and uh, Andrew Suarez that's out there like they're not trying to learn anything about those guys. Correct. They're just there to kind of fill innings because they are trying to learn a little bit more about the young arms that are in the rotation. Um, but it is something that we will be definitely talking about in the offseason, trying to evaluate the moves that they make, because you're right, they're going to have to make a splash. And I do think it is coming to their attention of that because the stands are fairly empty for it reminded me when I went to the game. I think it's been two weeks now. Um, it reminded me a lot of what it was before the winning streak back in 21, where I went to a game and I was like, man, there's not a lot of buzz around here. There's a lot of empty seats. This just isn't what I think of as Cardinals baseball. And I got that vibe when I went just the other week. And I think ownership knows that. And I think that's why that's why I feel confident that they're going to spend money on a starter this offseason. Alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK, coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. It is T-Bone's favorite segment of the week. We'll play a game of Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. We asked Grant if you wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. So no, no. no. He doesn't have the voice for it. That's true. That's why we have the volume a little louder on the music. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so. Oh, I forgot my part. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not. It's just me. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we're believing it here on 101 ESPN. (laughs) Alex out today. He'll be back in next week. Grant filling in for him admirably this week for us. All right, T-Bone, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'll let you start. What do you got for Believe It or Not today? Believe It or Not, Bryce Young will be the most impressive rookie quarterback this season in the NFL. I don't, I don't care how you judge that. Sure. But. I'm going to say I believe it. I said all along during the NFL draft process, he's the guy that I feel the best about this year, but he's the guy that I feel the worst about long term. I don't know that the ceiling is there for him, and I do worry about the hits accumulating, but this season I think he will be the most impressive because of the way that his game translates to the NFL level. I think there's going to be some serious growing pains for Richardson. And I just don't know what's to do with the surrounding, the supporting cast uh, with CJ Stroud in Houston. So I'll go ahead and say I believe it. I think he's going to be the best of the rookies this season. Yeah, honestly, I'm not super high on any of them. 
Um, but if I had to pick one, I think it would be Bryce Young. And part of that, too, is just the expectations there are not going to be that high. There's not going to be a ton of pressure on him. I feel like he can just go out there and play. And so, yeah, I, I think I'll take that. I'll believe it, rather. I, I believe it, too, because it's I've been... Same game. <laughs> no, totally different. Just different wording. <laughs> um, uh, I'll believe it, too, because I do think he has... I think he's going to be the best of these three rookie quarterbacks altogether, uh, short-term and long-term. And... I, I think when I look at Richardson, I, I just don't think he's going to translate to the NFL. I'm interested by Stroud because I think you saw spurts that looked good in the preseason, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens because that's going against like second and third strings. What happens when he starts going up against true defenses? But yeah, I'll believe this. I think Bryce Young has the best rookie year out of the quarterbacks coming in this year. Guys, believe it or not, by the end of the season, we believe one of the teams in the NFC South will end up winning a playoff game Not in the postseason. Not. I don't got to think about it. All four of those teams stink. Whoever wins that division may be below 500 again. Um, so I'm not going to believe this. I Though the NFC is weak, it ain't weak enough to where it's going to lose a game to one of those South teams in the playoffs. Grant? I'm with you, but also at the same, if, if I had to advocate for them, Whoever they go up against in the playoffs is going to heavily underestimate them. Like that that's how it goes. I always think back to the Seahawks when they uh played the Saints that one year. That was the year that Marshawn Lynch had that insane run um for a touchdown. And Seahawks ended up winning that game and they I think they were seven and nine that year going into the playoffs. So I I get a little bit concerned for teams going up against teams that don't have a great regular season just because of that underestimation factor. But no, I'm still not going to believe it. I don't believe in the NFC South at all. By the way, I just realized that I forgot to give away Jason Aldean tickets in the 1245 segment. So we will do that at the end of this segment. Be sure to stay tuned for that. At the end of this segment, we will give, be giving away a pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean. That's on me. And because I messed up, we'll give away two oh, pairs wow. of Jason Aldean tickets. You can do this that? hour. One here, one in the rewind. Stay tuned for that. Believe we'll it free over here. Believe it or not, Grant, he forgets one of those pairs. No chance. I forgot it already once, and I've got it written down. It'll be on his mind. (laughs) Um, I'm going to believe this. I think one of the Falcons or the Saints will surprise us this year. I don't know which one it's going to be. The Saints feel like the more likely scenario because they have an established quarterback in Derek Carr. And I do think we underestimate their weapons. If If Michael Thomas is healthy this year, big if. It's like banking on Tyler O'Neill to yeah. be healthy. Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, and then um, Shakira, the other guy that they've got down there. Shakira? Yeah, similar. Uh, his hips really don't lie. He's got great speed. And Kamar's legs are fixed now. Exactly. That could be uh, Shahid. Excuse me. I was thinking. I don't know who you were thinking of the singer. Shahid is the one that I was thinking of. Um, that's a pretty good group of weapons for him down there. So I could see the Saints, and you guys know I fall for the Falcons every year. I, so I think one of those two teams will end up being, we'll convince ourselves going in the playoffs that they will win a playoff. The other thing for me is like when I think about who they're probably going to play in the playoffs, it's probably the Cowboys or Eagles, whoever doesn't end up winning that division. And I just think those two teams are so much better than everybody else in the South. Don't forget, though, it will be at home. I think it's the dumbest rule. Like they should have to travel if they have a worse record than the wildcard team, but they will very likely host. They will host a game in the playoffs against one of those teams that you're talking about. And that always ends up making up for a little bit of the talent deficit. Grant, what do you got for us? All right. Believe it or not. So the blues had three twenty goal scorers last season. Believe it or not, they have five or more this upcoming season. Five twenty goal scorers this year. All right. Let's start our counting. Okay, well, we'll start with the three from last season that had 20. Kairu Buchnevich, 
Shin. Yes. Shin had 20, right? 21. I think Saad is a 20-goal scorer. So that's four. And I think Yakub Vran is a 20-goal scorer. There you go. I will say I believe it. When you say it offhand, it's like, that's a lot of 20-goal scores. But then you think about it. Yeah, I think they have at least five. How many did they have two years ago? What was the number? They had like seven. Nine, it? I want to say it was three, nine. Four, five, I think six. they had like three. Had nine. The top yeah. nine were there. What, can, can you get it? Can they get eight? No. Sammy Blay? Can they get? Uh, so <laughs> you'd probably need. I, I think you'd need Robert Thomas to get up to 20. I think he can too. He had 18 last season. So that gets you to six. Kapanen maybe. That's get, that gets you to seven. Kevin Hayes. Could. That gets you to eight. He's good. Oh, I think we're kind of stretching on the Kapanen one. I don't. I don't Kapanen he, could get to 20. I I we we would have said the same thing about like Barbashev two years ago. Year. Yeah, and as BK told me all year long, he's not that guy. Kapanen scored 20 goals in 2019, sir. Yeah, and as I just said, <laughs> Barbie did it once, and all I heard from BK was, they should trade this guy, but they should trade the, this guy. It was a shooting percentage thing. You know, yeah, batting yeah. average on balls and play got a little lucky. What was Captain shooting percentage that 11%. year? 11%. It was totally in line with his crew norm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he no, didn't do I, anything crazy that season. Look, I... You should be happy with five 20 goal scores, maybe six if you get Hayes into that conversation. I'll put the over under at six and a half and take the over. Wow. I think they get to seven. I said five, and you were like, whoa, at first. Yeah, then you talk yeah. yourself into eight. <laughs> yeah. Let's get to nine. Can I get a nine? <laughs> yeah, you're going to be we're buying Blaze Corps 20 goals. on this show. <laughs> yeah, what were they talking about in the 10 o'clock hour today? Um, I, I think they can get like six or seven. I Eight, no, because I don't think Kaepernick can get there. But I could understand the Hayes. And uh, who was the other one that you said that was going to get there? Thomas. Thomas, Saad, Booch. I can't remember. Verona. Vrana. I think Vrana Vrana's for sure. a lock. If yeah. he stays healthy, he's getting 20 goals. And I think he's going to get a lot of those on the power play, too. And I, I think his shot's going to be a difference maker for that power play. I really do. Yeah, I'm believing it as well. I, I think there could be well over five, talking about six or seven. I think, saying, I think it's going to be better than a lot of people Blues expect. Cup, here we come. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, all three of you from this show will win your fantasy matchup this week at the 101 ESPN League. Do you know who you play? I haven't even checked who I play this uh, week. My matchup is a rematch of the championship game last, last year. I played Donnie week one. Ah, there you go. Oh, I play Carrie. I'm a seven point favorite. See, um, I know I'm favored by like 10, I think. Ooh, you love to see it. Yeah. I'm playing against, I think, Matthew Rocchio, and it's a 50 50 proposition going Ooh. into the week. I've got some injury questions. Oh, do you? <laughs> going into the week. Uh, we, we've, we've got to figure out what's going on with Waddle and Brees Hall. I think both are going to be fine. I'm trusting Noah Gray tonight. I'm going with Noah Gray in my lineup. Are you? Yep. Wow. I, I think even if Kelsey plays, he's going to be limited. And people are going to expect too much out of him. So I'm going Noah Gray as uh, my starting tight end tonight. If uh, Kelsey is out, I've got Sky Moore on my bench right now. I will be putting Sky Moore in my lineup. Kelsey plays, though. I think I'm going to keep him on the bench and just see what it looks like. Um, but, yeah, I don't have any injury question marks. I'm actually surprised you have so many. And I'm favored by 12, 12, 60, 40% chance I win. Well, they right now are projecting me to get a solid four points out of my tight end this week. Well, I God bless. Hurt, yeah. God bless not getting any of the top three. My only concern for my team this season are my receivers. I've got a pretty big concern. Uh, yeah, I've got Debo Samuel and Michael Pittman as my like top two. Love the Debo call. Michael Pittman, I am very worried about because Anthony yeah. Richardson, while I love him, I know. doesn't throw the football the best. <laughs> and 
he what he does do well is throw it deep, and that is not exactly what Michael Pittman does. Yeah, in in the fourteen team two quarterback league, oh, I dude, think one position is gonna be a little scarce, and receiver is mine. So, uh, yeah, I'm slightly worried about them, but. I overall, I really like my running backs. I've got uh, Chubb and Cam Akers, who I think they're going to rely on a lot. Oh, do not like Cam Akers. Yeah, sorry about Cam Akers this season. But with Cooper Cup out, they're going to rely on him more. They're going to have to. He's going to get twenty five catch or twenty five touches for fifty yards. Yeah, just hope for a touchdown. Yeah, the the problem is, is he's not going to have a lot of running room. That line's terrible. It's fine. It's a fourteen team league, man. Everybody's got guys on their roster. I'm starting Noah Gray, man. Like, yeah, good point. I. I've got a backup tight end for the Chiefs going into tonight that it it wouldn't surprise anybody if he gets one catch for 12 Watch yards. him have like two touchdowns. Yeah, I feel pretty good about my team. I've got Deshaun Watson, too, on my team. Oh, well. I'm sure that's going to go super well. Now you know why I was high on the Browns going into I forgot you drafted him because I think you drafted him right before me, and I was like, what is he doing? I didn't feel good about it. We were on the turn, and when you have 14 teams in your league and you got to wait for got a while. 28 picks to get back to you, I was like, oh, God, this is the last quarterback that's worth anything if I don't get him, I'm going to be praying that I get like Brock Purdy on the next time around. So yeah, the yeah. commissioner who got the first overall pick is uh, complaining about the 14 team league. I'm not complaining about and the it. guy that added two people the day of the draft. Listen, I asked everybody else if it was OK <laughs> and everybody else said yes. And then they decided it wasn't OK. I think the vote was a tie <laughs> alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK. Coming up next, how many pieces can we pull out of this Chiefs lineup? before we officially have to worry about them as a playoff team. We'll talk about it coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. your chance to win 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line if you are if you were listening at 1245 you know i need to give away a pair of tickets to see jason aldean's highway desperado tour you'll see them at hollywood casino amphitheater on friday september 15th if you're texter number 101 at 314-399-9646 and you can tell me the answer to this question you are getting the pair of tickets to see jason aldean In the junk drawer today, I mentioned that one of the guys on the bachelor party, he hurt himself. What did he do? What injury did he sustain? If you got the answer to that question, you're texture number 101. You are going to see Jason Altin. And if you are not texture number 101, just wait about 10, 15 minutes, and we'll give you another chance to win a pair of tickets to see Jason Altin. Are you heard there in that update? The Chiefs have an injury that is potentially going to impact them tonight. Travis Kelsey messed messed with his knee earlier this week, hyperextended it. We don't know the specifics on the injury, but it sounds like a bone bruise. He may or may not play in this game. Let's say he doesn't for the sake of this hypothetical. We know Chris Jones, who last year I think you could make a case was the second best defensive player in the NFL. Maybe the third. Top three at, at a minimum. Best interior defensive lineman. He will not be playing tonight for the Chiefs. He'll be there, though. In a suit. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That is really a thing that is apparently going to happen. They also signed Charles Aminahue this offseason from the San Francisco 49ers to be their number one defensive end. So their number one defensive end, their number one defensive tackle, and one of the best weapons in the NFL and Travis Kelsey are all not going to play tonight. If you took their salaries and combined them for this season, their AAVs, you're talking about like 
$55 million of the Chiefs' salary cap not being available to play tonight. And I think most people are still picking them to win. And they're not going up against, you know, the Houston Texans or the Arizona Cardinals. We're talking about the Detroit Lions that they're going up against, a team that a lot of people believe will win the NFC North this year. T-Bone, how many pieces would I have to take out of the Chiefs lineup before we get to a place where people would be all like unanimously picking the Lions? Again, a pretty good team to upset the Chiefs tonight in Kansas City. Because I'm amazed that we're here and like the Chiefs are still the obvious pick. I agree with it. You're kind of freaking out over there. And I'm over here like, relax. This is a Chiefs win. I, I think it all just comes down to Mahomes. I think the only Jenga piece that can be pulled out that would topple this tower would be Patrick Mahomes. Otherwise, you can pull out some offensive linemen. You can pull out some defensive pieces. You can take out Sky Moore. You could take out Pacheco. Uh, or Pacheco, excuse me. Um, Close enough. I, uh, I don't think it matters as long as Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback. He is the Superman of the NFL. He can turn an average wide receiver into a stud wide receiver, just like Tom Brady could. And that's why I say until all these Jenga pieces are being pulled out, until that one piece has number 15 on it, that's when the board will topple. Now, granted, that can be said for a lot of teams you pull their quarterback out, they're not going to win. But I don't think a lot of teams, like let's use the Vikings, for example, if they were to have Hawkinson pulled out of their lineup, there is a difference to that team. That is a huge loss for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I don't view that the same way with the Chiefs. I, I think, though I am taking the Lions tonight, I still think it's a very close game. They're going to be in every game as long as Patrick Mahomes is at quarterback. How many teams does this exist for? Because like, if I did this with the Bills, who I think most people have Josh Allen as a top three quarterback in the league right now, top five at worst. If I did this with the Bills and I said, hey, Stephon Diggs not playing and Von Miller not playing, are you picking them, like, no doubt about it, if they're going up against a potential playoff team in the Detroit Lions? I think the answer for most people would be no, right? Like That's at least a 50-50 proposition there. So how many teams can we say this about, where you pull out the best non-quarterback on offense, whoever you deem that to be, and let's say two of their best defenders, which is really what's happening here with the Chiefs. People only talk about Chris Jones, but Omenihu is going to be out for the first six weeks with a suspension. I mean, is it is it only them? Could you put the Eagles on this level? Do the Cowboys rise to this level? Like who who else can we do this with? I would say I would not put the Cowboys on this level because I do think Dak, though I think he's a good quarterback, he's very much beneficiary of the weapons around him. I think the two guys that I would put in this conversation, I think the Eagles are one of them to where I just trust Jalen Hurts and he's got the athletic abilities to where I think he can win a game without some of his top weapons. A.J. Brown, let's call it uh, on the defensive side of the football, we're going to pull out Darius Slay and Hassan Reddick. Yeah, I think they could. I would still trust the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, the other team that I would put in this conversation is the Cincinnati Bengals. I, I think Joe Burrow is such a great quarterback that he could win a game if you took out uh, Hendrickson, who's their top paid probably yep. defensive player. Take him off defense and take out Jamar Chase. I, I think Joe Burrow could win a football game without some of his top weapons. Now, would it be to the same extent where like I look at the Chiefs and I go, yeah, yeah they can still be a team that can earn the top buy? Probably not, but I would definitely take the Bengals in most games without some of their top weapons. Same with the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm with you on the Eagles. I'm not with you on the Bengals, though. I think it would still be kind of close. But I think if you if you look at 
odds going into a game if the same thing happened to the Eagles going up against the Lions as has happened to the Chiefs I think the Eagles would still be the favorites in the game I'm not so sure about the Bengals though I'm really not so sure if you did the same thing to the Bengals that's going like that's happening to the Chiefs right now if they would still be the overwhelming favorite to win the game I just don't big thing it's not just that the Chiefs are favored they're not a minus three like when you have a home team in the NFL typically for those that don't gamble you get about a two and a half to three point home home line. So it, on a neutral field, Chiefs in that scenario would basically be a pick em, right? That's not what this is. This is a four and a half point spread in favor of the Chiefs tonight in Las Vegas. So Vegas still views the Chiefs as quite a bit better than the Lions, despite not having potentially Travis Kelsey or Chris Jones or Charles Aminihu. It just I think it speaks to like earlier today I saw get up. They were putting together their Super Bowl predictions. They had four people on the panel today. Zero. Zero of those analysts had the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Not winning the Super Bowl, getting to the Super Bowl. And I think what we're watching right now with this game tonight, I think it speaks to Chiefs are still the best team in the AFC, man. And until proven otherwise, I'm going to continue picking them to win the Super Bowl this year. So let's get to that, T-Bone. It is the last day that we can officially make these kind of overall big picture predictions because now the the season has officially begun. Who do you have in the Super Bowl this year? What do you think it ends up being? So I do think Cincinnati will get back to the Super Bowl. I I still love the Chiefs, and I think it's tough, but you want to talk about a team that can't get over. It's weird. The one kryptonite for Patrick Mahomes has been Joe Burrow. Now he got past him last year, but I, I like the Cincinnati Bengals this year. Um, for the NFC, I, I'm not sure the Eagles come out of it this year. I think they're going to be in the conversation. There's two teams that I like, and I think the side that I'm going to side with because I trust their coaching, and I think it's really the biggest difference for me in the tiebreaker, is the Seahawks. I, I love the Seahawks this year. I think that defense is going to be improved. They've added Bobby Wagner. They've got legitimate wow. weapons. Geno and, Smith in the Super Bowl. I mean, Jared Goff got to a Super hey, Bowl. Hey, you're not wrong. So if Goff can do it. And who was the quarterback when the Bears made it back in, like, 06? Kyle Orton. Yeah, that guy can get to a Super Bowl. There's no reason to believe that Geno Smith can't. And it's a much, And it's a, oh, yeah, forgot about Sexy Rexy. Um, and the NFC such an easier path to where I think the Seattle Seahawks can do it. So I'm going to go Seahawks, and I think they lose to the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl. I still think the Eagles run the NFC. I think they're going to be back in the Super Bowl on the NFC side of things. I think the AFC is going to be so difficult to get through the playoffs that I think we're going to see some upsets. Um, I like the Ravens to get there this year. I, like I really it. do. They're so solid all around. Really I've got Lamar as my MVP yeah. this year, so I like I like that pick. I think Ravens and Eagles in the Super Bowl this year. That'd be my preseason prediction. I don't know when the last time was that this happened. I'd have to look into it. Um, I've got the Chiefs and Eagles. I just think they're the two best teams. I think we finished last season, and I still feel the same way about those two teams that I did at the end of last year. A lot of the time, the team that gets to the Super Bowl has a ton of attrition. They got a bunch of their best players that end up walking out the door. Well, even if you think Chris Jones is going to miss eight games, he's going to be back for the second half of the season. And really what matters, he's going to be at full strength by the time that we get to the playoffs. Even if Kelsey misses this game tonight, if it's a bone bone bruise, which is what has been speculated about, a few weeks, he'll be fine. Uh, by the start of October, you should expect him to be somewhere around 100%. I still think the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. You get into the NFC, I love the Dallas Cowboys this year. I think they're winning that division. I think they're a better regular season team. 
I do not trust Mike McCarthy in a big game in the playoffs, though. And that's why I chose the Seahawks, because I don't trust McCarthy in the playoffs, because they were that team that was tied for me. I think you can make a case that they are the most talented roster, not just in the NFC, but in the NFL. I think you can make a case about that. But I don't trust their coaches enough to be able to get them over the hump. So if I were to pick somebody other than the Eagles in the NFC, for me, it would probably be San Francisco. But that's just me picking chalk. And at that point in time, I might as well go with the Eagles because that's that's where my head really believes that we end up is with the two teams that were in it last year back in it again. T-Bone, you mentioned how um, we've seen bad quarterbacks in the Super Bowl before. I saw this put out earlier this week. Somebody asked a question on Twitter. Do you think that Joe Burrow or Jalen Hurts will end up getting back to the Super Bowl at some point in their respective careers? The past 17 quarterbacks to lose in their first Super Bowl appearance never made it back another time. Never did. Listen to this list, though. And I think it speaks to what you're saying about why Geno could potentially get there this year. I think we overstate how good you have to be to get there. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, Matt Ryan, Colin Kaepernick, Rex Grossman, Matt Hasselbeck, Donovan McNabb, who was actually better than he gets credit for, Jake DeLome, Kerry Collins, Chris Chandler, Drew Bledsoe, Neil O'Donnell, Stan Humphreys. That's a list of like super average quarterbacks for the most part. You can get there as long as your roster is able to overcome some of the deficiencies of your quarterback. Yeah, and that's what I was just about to say. Like you look at some of those most recent names like Jimmy Garoppolo, Matt Ryan. What happened? Ryan put up like an MVP caliber season. It's probably not fair to throw him into this list. But it's like Garoppolo. Why did he get there? Because... Not because of his play, because he just had to be a average quarterback because the weapons around him were so great. And I think most of these guys also propped up by an all-time great um, offensive play caller. Yeah. So if you look around the NFL right now, find your great play callers, and that's the one that can overcome what their quarterback situation is right now. Yeah, and and I I don't know if I trust the play calling and Pete Carroll's love for running the football as much, but I've seen how good a head coach he is. He does a great job of keeping that team motivated and getting them through a season. And you saw last year with Geno Smith, they were a really good team for the first portion of the year until they kind of cooled off. And now they bring in Bobby Wagner to kind of solidify the defense. They've got so many weapons on at wide receiver. I mean, you've got DK Metcalf, you've got Lockett, and Jackson Smith and uh in Jigba. Thank you. you um, from Ohio State. I, I struggle with his name. Like, they've got serious weapons for them. They've also got a great running game as well. Like, I can, I totally agree. Like, Geno Smith is a huge question mark on that team, but he's good. And if he's just good, they can get to a Super Bowl. Jared Goff, a good quarterback. How'd he get there? Because he had weapons around him and he had a great head coach in Sean McVay. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That's Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're going to give you another chance to win a pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean, and we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind with some thoughts about the Cardinals offense here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK coming up in about five minutes. We'll give you your final chance today. We've got more tomorrow to win a pair of tickets 
to see Jason Aldean. That's in about five minutes from now. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You can also rewatch the show today on YouTube after we're done. 101 ESPN STL is where you go to find it. T-Bone, you asked this question while we were in break of when was the last time that the Braves were uh, were swept at home. The last time that it happened was all the way back in April, from what I can find, against the Houston Astros. The Cardinals have an opportunity to do exactly that tonight. Now, it would require Wayno to pitch well against the best offense in the sport, and specifically for Wayno to prevent the long ball when that's been an issue for him for the majority of the season. So, I'm not overly optimistic about that happening. I would certainly pick against them in this game, but that is something they could technically do tonight. And one of the reasons why it's still possible is that even if Wayno gives up six, you've got an offense right now that's performing at a remarkably high level. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they are performing well since Lars Newtbar has returned to the lineup. Since he returned, they've scored two, six, six, ten, and eleven runs. He is not putting up overwhelming numbers. He's three for 19, but he's got four walks. He's scored five runs in this stretch of five games, and he's a guy that sets up the offense well. This team needs that high on base percentage lefty bat at the top of the lineup, whether that's he or Brendan Donovan. I think you saw when you pull out both of those Jenga pieces, you start to see the whole thing topple over. Does that mean that they're a fragile lineup? You could make that argument, but I think a lot of lineups, when you have one of the best players pulled out of it, it looks a little bit different. But for the Cardinals, what they really need to make this thing work is the left-handedness at the top of that order with a guy that gets on base at a really high clip, and that's what Lars Newbar brings to the table. So going into this offseason, when we think about how the Cardinals can go out there and acquire a pitcher, listen, nobody is truly untouchable, maybe other than Jordan Walker. But it would take a pretty hefty price for me to even consider moving on from Lars Nupar in a trade for a pitcher this offseason, in part because of what we've seen. Yeah, I, I think you're right on. And I don't think it is a or it's not a coincidence that they struggled without Nupar and Donovan in the lineup. And things suddenly look a lot better with one of them back in at Newbar. Like they just need that table setter from the left side. And it's not it's not even just his on base either. He does provide some pop to this lineup too. He's he's starting to hit for a little bit more power since the early season struggles. And you saw that from Donovan too this year. His power numbers were up before he got injured. So you're right. I, I don't think you can trade you definitely can't trade both of them. That is where the line will be drawn. I don't know if there's even a piece out there that you can consider yeah. worth those two guys. I would definitely still listen on one, but it has to be for a significant piece. It has to be for a Logan Gilbert or a um, Dylan Seats that you're willing to part from those guys. But the goal for the offseason is upgrade the pitching staff without pulling out any of the starters in your starting nine going into next year. That is the goal this offseason because this offense is able to compete at such a high level and be able to do damage against one of the best young arms in baseball like Spencer Strider. That's why going into the offseason, you try to avoid making any trade if possible unless you're trading for like a number four that gives up a complimentary piece like a Carlson or an O'Neill. But you got to try and avoid keeping this core group together as much as possible. And if you listen to the 10 a.m. hour, you know that um, Josh was calling out the team for everything, but specifically for for not putting together the right assembly of talent. One place where he was 100% right, in my opinion at least, was this is a team that needs to to dramatically change the way that they operate. 
And when you go into this offseason, that is where what you're saying, T-Bone, can't exist. If Bill DeWitt Jr. goes out there and he spends the money on pitching instead of forcing Mo to go out there and make a trade, that is how you end up with an offense that looks the way that it has the last couple of nights. While they have been underwhelming at times with getting runs across, obviously a huge part of the game, for the most part, all of the underlying signs suggest, hey, this is a really good offense, and if you keep operating the way that they have, you're going to get good results with the players that you have available to you in this lineup. Keep them there. Keep the main pieces to this lineup together and go ahead and de- like non-tender Tyler O'Neill or trade Tyler O'Neill. I don't mind if they move on from Dylan Carlson this offseason. If they decide, hey, Alec Burleson, we can get a really good reliever for him. Fine. I would prefer not to move on from him, but fine. Those are the kinds of things, ancillary pieces that I'm willing to move on from. The main components to what makes this offense work, those guys should all be back next year, and that should be possible because the ownership group is willing to spend the freight on what is going to what it's going to cost to upgrade this pitching in a meaningful way. Maybe that's Yamamoto. Maybe that's Aaron Nola. Maybe it's Snell. Maybe it's Imanaga. Maybe it's a combination of two of the players that I just mentioned. Whatever it is, this ownership group is really the one that has to prove this offseason that they're serious about keeping this core group of pieces together and supplementing it with the talent pitching-wise that they desperately need. 101 ESPN this week is your chance to score a pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean's Highway Desperado Tour. It's coming up on Friday, September 15th. If you're texter number 101 at 314-399-9646, you will get a chance to win a free pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean next Friday. You also get bonus chances to win at 101ESPN.com and on the 101 ESPN app. Here is the question that you have to answer earlier today in the 10 o'clock hour josh called out some of the uh people on the station what did he call us i think he was specifically talking about this show here uh from 11 oh, to 2 100 what was the what was the reference that he made about this show specifically if you've got the correct reference point there what did he call us uh you are getting a pair of tickets to see jason aldean in concert for t-bone and grant i'm bk we'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m the fast lanes coming up next those nerds here on 101 espn You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.